Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rothermans. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, a game that was developed by Monolith Soft, published by Nintendo, and released in 2022 on the Nintendo Switch. Probably didn't need to write that down. <laughs> no, well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but first, uh, if you give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, so, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is an RPG, uh, much in the vein of its prior two entries in the series, um, but also like the other two games in the series, it brings its own, like, I mean, gimmick is like the literal word for it, but they pretty entirely switch up the way that combat works in all three games while maintaining the same, like, skeleton systems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it puts its own spin on it, and X does the same thing as well. Yeah. So that is kind of like, if you've played the other games, you sort of know what you're getting into. But in the case of Xenoblade 3, that is more true than it was in 2. Um, <laughs> because X, uh, as you just mentioned, was separated from the main series of games in like a very specific and different way yeah it's like a spiritual sequel and not a direct one yeah and then xenoblade 2 has the number on it and it ties in a little bit with the first one but not until the absolute very end and with the use of some like common terminology Mm -hmm. uh three is i've heard people say Mm -hmm. that you can play three without playing the other games and enjoy it just fine I think that's probably at least reasonably true, but it is the least true that I think it has been. Yeah, it, I, I kind of agree and disagree. Um, I, I, I do think you could play this without playing the other ones and enjoy it just fine. So exactly <laughs> what you said. But yeah, there's it, it really assumes familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that stood out to me uh, at the like when I started the game. Is it like doesn't explain like what hyentia are they're just people with wings on their heads it doesn't explain that they're you know there's cat people and what's up with them <laughs> or like really what nopon are um and it, it doesn't really like establish the world as thoroughly as the first two games do either like it really just kind of wants to get into the meat and potatoes for the people who are like returning to the series i think yeah the people with investment yeah but <laughs> Yeah, and once again, like I said, it is reasonably true that you could play this without knowing it, but there's so much stuff that, and I'm talking, of course, thematically here, Mm -hmm. that I think just sings in the context of 3. A lot of the stuff that they don't explain, like Hyantia and uh, fucking the... Gormati. Yeah, the Gormati. Um, and whatever the the machine people were called. The Machina? The Machina. Uh, all exist in this game sort of like in little bits and pieces, and it's never explained or got into because the world of Xenoblade 3 is one where everyone takes all of these things as sort of ev- single, everyday occurrences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it... To me, like, a lot of the stuff that works, and that's, like, even kind of a small example, even though it's, like, really present right in your face from the beginning, because then you walk out and see Uriah, which is a big whale, and to any reasonable human person, 
resembles a big whale. <laughs> like, not ambiguous. And none of the characters make comment on it. And if you don't haven't played the game, that's going to seem... I mean, it already seems a little weird that none of the characters say anything about how Uriah looks like a big whale. Mm-hmm. But... If you've, if you've not played the game, it's going to be, like, almost eerie. Like, did I miss something <laughs> in my own education about big whale mountains that are just a thing and I didn't know? Yeah, it was really confusing to me um, because in the very opening cutscene, they I had forgotten this. I rewatched it earlier. Mm. Um, they show Araya. and it gets blasted by a big laser, and it takes a big <laughs> chunk out of it. Yeah. And the way it makes it look, I think it looks too similar to Gormot, mm. which is also in the skybox, because it makes it look like it's got like a neck and some horns, yeah, much like Gormot does. So I would always confuse <laughs> which one I was looking at. That's fair, yeah. I was like, which one? Yeah, but that might just be a personal thing, because I completely <laughs> forgot that it got blasted with a laser. Yeah. It's like, because you open the map screen, and you see the big whale shape, and I'm like, I really feel like it doesn't really look like a whale for some reason. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh-huh. That's because it got blasted by a big... Uh, it has a big hole in it. Yeah, it had an <laughs> annihilation event, as they call it. Yeah, so I completely <laughs> forgot about that. But but then there is the unmistakable silhouette of a big, giant fucking sword. Yeah, yeah, the the Mechonis' sword yeah. just hanging out. Which they do call out in the game, at least. They're like, oh yeah, it's at the base of the great sword. And everyone's like, oh, of course the great sword. Mm-hmm. Totally different than the great fish. That's a different thing yeah. that we don't talk about. We don't talk about the fish. Uh, but I, I don't know. I found a lot of those things, to me, felt a lot more meaningful because I had the context. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, it, it adds, like, a... I, I wish I knew more about cooking to make, like, a cooking metaphor. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of, like, ingredients and things you can add into a dish mm-hmm. that can really, like, bring out a flavor and, like, elevate it. But to, like, you know, the average person, none of that's really necessary. You can just put salt and pepper on it, and <laughs> it'll be good. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, it feels like that sort of thing. Like, I think it's perfectly enjoyable if you go in blind, but, yeah, we'll gain, like, a bunch mm-hmm. from knowing all of the, like, you know, um, having familiarity with the past games and seeing all the references and stuff. Yeah. I even think... Because this is, to me, this is the headspace I was in, was like, because I played all these games really, really recently. Um, I've played all three of them within a year at this point, maybe yeah, a, a little bit over. That's fucking wild. Yeah. And it's an over 100 hour experience per game. Yeah. Uh, so it was quite a, a trek that I took through this franchise um, <laughs> in a pretty short period of time. But I think that to somebody going back from the third game to the other ones would even be a little bit confused at the way they treat certain things. Like, the the statues of the founders in the city, like, one of them is, like, implied to have been either Shulk or somebody who was, like, taught by Shulk. One of them looks exactly like Shulk. Yeah. And I think someone else pointed out that one of them looks like the protagonist from Xenogears, mm. um, which is a fun reference. Um, but yeah, I, it, they, their name is something different. So I think they're like a descendant of Shulk. Yeah. At least that was my interpretation. <laughs> and so I think people will go back and be like, oh, okay. And then they'll go, why were none of the other people in this <laughs> game or the other game? Like, I think that there's a lot of stuff that is still new content that you're supposed to take something differently from, like that these people have accrued followers or something over time. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, to somebody going back would be like, did I miss something or is this probably won't be in the forefront of their mind. But like, if you then go back to three, hoping to have a much better understanding, mm-hmm. I don't know if you really will. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot of like, I like the way it's handled. It's all very subtle. Um, we in casual conversation compared it to dark souls three. Uh-huh. Um, it is very much like the setup of the world is like the two worlds of, um, the game from the first two games have like smashed together mm-hmm. and like different pieces, you know, are represented and, you know, certain ones are, certain ones aren't. It's like a mishmash and like it's a lot of it's really subtle. I remember like from the marketing, um, it seemed like I watched the initial trailer and I didn't watch anything else. Um, and I wasn't sure like how literal it was going to be. Like uh, it seemed obvious they were like, you know, bringing together. They showed, like, a, someone who looked like Nia, somebody who looked like Malia. Like, they were bringing together the worlds of the first two games and, like, connecting them. Yeah. Um, but, like, I didn't know, like, how deep into it they were going to go and or, and, like, how much it was going to, like, stand on its own and et cetera, et cetera. I didn't know how it was going to be done. And then, like, I really, I noticed a lot of things, but I feel like there was, like, a ton of stuff that, like, went right under my radar like I watched a video of somebody pointing out a bunch of references uh, earlier today, and there were so many that I just didn't notice that I thought were, like, really cool. Yeah. I did notice the giant uh, Bionis head yeah. in the distance, and I didn't also notice a big hand in the skybox, and it's theorized that that's, like, Morardane's hand. Oh, yeah, Which yeah, I yeah. thought was cool, but, like, I think my favorite one that they pointed out because it seems like it should be really obvious when someone tells you about it. Um, but in the desert, there's this like big giant circle in the ground. And um, that's actually like the perimeter of the hidden Machina village, yeah. which is on in the middle of the Mechanis's hand. And then if you like, you see in the distance, there's like the fingers, uh, which I just did not notice at all. But once you know, you're like, oh, holy shit. Oh, yeah, it's you know, thing. like you can look at it, you can tell immediately, oh, that's what it was. But yeah. it, was, it was right in front of your face and you you just didn't notice it. Well, that's that's one that I didn't notice immediately, but I did definitely notice when I came running into your room and was like, Andy, they brought that wall back. <laughs> and you were like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's a wall that you can climb up in the first Xenoblade game in that area oh, that takes yeah. you to the distant fingertip. And it's this like minutes long just holding the up on the controller yeah i do remember it yeah in the first game yeah (laughs) and they that wall is back and the distant fingertip is there as a uh a secret location Mm. Uh, and that's when i put it together like what that was yeah i I somehow missed that Mm. yeah so i did not put it together you just didn't find that big wall yeah apparently um but yeah and there's like um there's parts like i think it's like you're going through after you meet the, uh, what's her name, Juniper with the bow and arrow. Yeah. You're going through this, like, kind of forested area that leads to, like, the Orion Mines. The and they Machna have, Forest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they have, like, the ruins of um, of the Araya City. I don't remember what it's called. Or if it's just called Araya, I don't remember. Um, and, like, there's, like the, like, the big staircase is there, like, the ruins of it. Like, there's, like, a bunch of, like, specific references, and I noticed almost none of them. Uh. Uh, which I like, yeah. Um, because like, yeah, I like that it's like subtle and doesn't call attention to itself. So yeah. the ones you do notice, you're like, oh shit, yeah. Like when you, um, the, this one's super obvious, but it came late enough in the game for me that it was like really satisfying to like actually go back into 
Is it the Agnian capital? Is that the one where Melia is? Uh, Kevis. Kevis. Okay. So the Kevis capital, you actually go in to fight the blonde guy. <laughs> Chris. Um, yeah. And like you go in and you're like, oh, this is like the big, uh, is it a foyer and a castle? I, I don't was going to say the word antechamber, or like but a, I don't know if that's like a correct hall either. or whatever. Yeah, it's the big front room. Yeah, and like you go in and you're like, oh, is the mural going to be there? Mm-hmm. And then it is, and you're like, oh, shit, I remember. And then you take a <laughs> screenshot um, on your Switch. So, yeah, stuff like that is like really cool to find, and it's like rare enough, um, unless you're like super looking for it. Um, right. That I, I really liked how that stuff was handled. Yeah, I would agree, I think, with that. Also, just a side fun fact, because you mentioned Juniper earlier, and it might, it's probably not going to come up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Juniper is a, a, is evidently a non-binary character, and I did not pick oh. up on that in the in the dialogue and only found out on the internet like a week ago. Mm, I did not pick up on that either. Yeah. Uh, but I have to give it props because this game is like, probably was on my top three list of games that are least likely to include <laughs> uh, a non-binary character. So uh, that's they, that's a little interesting fun fact. Uh, but I will say that as much as I agree with you on, on how they handled it, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that they do that is a direct callback feels... It not only is it integral to the story of the game and the setting, mm-hmm. it is done in a way that isn't, like, super nudge-nudge. Like, you remember Xenoblade 1, right? Yeah, it's not, like, in your face at all. Yeah, but it does emphasize to me how much, how clean and good the world design of the first two games is. Um, we just did our bonus episode on Xenoblade 2, and because we tried to keep it as short as possible, we didn't really go into this, but one of the best parts of Xenoblade 2 is its world design. The Titans are very cool. Yeah. Um, and if you listen to our episode on the first game, we talk about how the Bayonis and Mechanis is like a fucking A-plus tier, super good concept. Yeah. Uh, and is executed really well. And I feel like this takes both of them... And because it isn't that simple design that the other ones had, mm-hmm. I feel like it, the world design overall feels weaker to me. I 100% agree. Okay, all right. I kind of thought you might push back on me, no. or back about this with me, whichever <laughs> one of those makes sense. Um, yeah, and I didn't know if it was just, like, me being me. Like, I tend to really value originality, and, like, even though, yeah, like, I think this game does callbacks and references, like, self-referential content mm-hmm. really well, about as well as you can, I think. I'd still, like, I feel, still kind of crave, like, more originality, I think. Um, there's, like, a lot of Xenoblade plays of the hits, like, especially up until, I think, when you get the boat. Yeah. I remember that being a moment being where I was like, oh, something, like, brand new. Yep. There's like a bunch of islands to explore, stuff to do. It felt different, and I really liked that part. Yeah, and there are areas in in uh, Cadencia, in the area that you actually use the boat in, that feel like they are more like individual ideas. It's interesting to see because like when you take the two worlds and mash them together, the way that they chose to express that was in sort of like a continental landmass. Which the games haven't really done. Yeah, it's like a ring world. Yeah. It's like a big... But yeah. it's not like Terry Pratchett's ring yeah. world. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like a big circle. 
Much like an Ouroboros. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, and like with like, I don't know, is so the ocean in the kind of in the middle or is there just kind of like a crater in the middle? It really depends on how you look at the map because certain mm. places put it sort of in the middle, but yeah. it's like the ocean is in the north part of the map and origin is in the middle. Right. Yeah, and then yeah, everything yeah. is in oh, yeah, kind of like a like crescent a... on the left side. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's weird. Because like the way that the map is displayed it obviously wants origin to sit in the middle of it, mm-hmm. but like realistically from like, it's like it, off to the side. Yeah. It's just like kind of up there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it's fine. Obviously. It's yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. It's weird because to me that feels so much more boring. Like you do have huge stretches of like land exploration, especially in the first game because the Bionis is fucking huge. Uh, it doesn't even really give you an idea that you're going to go to the Mechanis until like halfway through the game. Mm-hmm. And, but to this one, it, it, it just like, it felt, it's the biggest map by like a lot, like of explorable space from yeah, what I've heard. Probably. Yeah. In this game, but it feels the smallest because you aren't being like dwarfed by the creatures that you're riding on. Yeah. It, it feels like, um, I, it's one of the first things I said, I think, is that it doesn't set like do as much to like set up the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I like this game better than Xenoblade 2 overall, but like I think one and two really like hook the player better. Like they like they start they set up like especially like Xenoblade One's the best at it. Like it starts that opening cutscene, it like it shows you the Titans fighting, and then it has the whole part with Dunban, and then it zooms out, and it like the camera goes all the way down the Bionis, like through some of the areas, and then zooms back out and shows you like the gives you a sense of the scale, yeah, and kind of like sells you on the idea like oh, is the game world is this giant sword wielding like thing yeah you know that's fighting another mechanical one on like an album cover (laughs) that's the world of the game and and then two has like all the different giant titans that are just like roaming around this sea Mm -hmm. and like people explore underneath the clouds and it's like you know there's like mystery and intrigue just to like the world itself and this game doesn't really have that like it's there's a million things in the skybox, once again, because it's, like, a bunch of the stuff from the other games. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of hard to orient yourself. Like, I kept... It probably didn't help that I kept confusing Gormat and Araya. Um, but, it, yeah, the sword is always there. But it's kind of... You don't really have, like, consistent, like, oh, I'm in this area. Like, the sword's off to the left. And, like, this is off to the right. Like, they don't... They're not done in that, like, really great, like... Disneyland like signposty way where you can like look at distant uh, landmarks and know exactly where you are. Yeah, it feels a little bit more nebulous or like kind of hard to like make a mental map of how the whole world fits together. And it feels like where Xenoblade One always had that promise of like if you can see a thing you're eventually going to go there mm-hmm. and xenoblade 2 walked that back a little bit because the yeah it's like Titans smaller more, areas yeah they're smaller it was like a more individual area focused game yeah and then three seems to just go completely like with the exception of walking on uriah's skull 
and getting into the sword, which is even sort of an anticlimax because it mostly takes place in, in a elevator. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, though. Well, the whole city thing is dope yeah. and great. Like, the, the thing that really sold it for me is when you can, like, walk to that balcony area and you can see out the big circular window. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so, like, that, that gives you the thing where you can orient yourself. You're like, I know where this is on the sword. Yeah. So, like, I know where I'm at. In comparison to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, but with those exceptions, like, most of the stuff that you see is kind of, like, set dressing. You can never go to the Bionis' head. You can't go to Gormat. Like, there are pieces of those places scattered That's, around. Yeah. This is a... I can't believe... This is a thing I've thought about a lot, and I don't know that I've ever actually brought it up on the podcast even though I think I've thought to myself, this is a thing to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> like, I think, I don't know if this is like a technical term or a trope term, but that's how I like to think of it, is like there's like the promise, I think, when you make a piece of media, whether it's a story, a TV show, uh, a movie, whatever, a video game, like you walk out after um, you get the full party and Van Damme dies, and it's that initial area where it's like the fucking cover of the game where you see the sword, mm-hmm. you see Gormat, and you're like, I want to go to those places. <laughs> um, and it never really delivers, but apart from the sword, you do specifically go there. But mm-hmm. like you never, yeah, you never go to Gormat. You don't really go to Araya. Like you kind of do, but it's all like unrecognizable yeah and piecemeal like, yeah and piecemeal yeah. like it doesn't uh deliver on those things in the way that you like expect or you feel like it was promised to you by that setup yeah and like part of me is like obviously i'm i'm happy that they have designed new things like we can segue yeah. pretty much straight from this into talking about the open world design um because it is important for this kind of a game but the I'm glad that they created new things because I want to experience something different because I just played Xenoblade 2 a week before this, hours before this game came out. Uh, and, but also, like, yeah, there's something, even if the, it's changed radically, just the acknowledgement of where I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you go to the Urian Mines, which don't look anything like Uriah yeah. in the game Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, they do a thing where they'll mix something from the first and the second game together to where it doesn't really... It just feels like its own new thing and not mm-hmm. like either of the things it's referencing. Like, um, the area with the waterfalls and uh, where uh, I think Izzard's colony is, like, behind the waterfall. Yeah. The theme music, I swear, is just the Magna Forest theme music. Okay. Like, for a little chunk of it. And I'm like, oh, and that's one of the first things I noticed as, like, a direct thing. Um, and I was like, the area before this was, like, Araya and the Ether Mines from the first game. But it, you know, um, kind of mashed together. And, like, there's different pieces that kind of feel similar to each of those things. Um, and it is all, it's, yeah, it's just kind of all, like, meshed together in such a way that, like, if they didn't name it the way they did or theme it the way they did, you wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah. You'd be like, this is like a Xenoblade-like area. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You wouldn't have even thought about it. Yeah. It's one of those things that, like, when you write it out on paper, it doesn't sound like it's a thing, where it's like, obviously it's better that they put all this work in to make these places new and exciting to explore for the first time. 
But then emotional promise, as you termed it, like that Mm -hmm. promise, is important, especially if it is like a game like this, especially one that promises this to be like sort of a a farewell or like an ending to the the storyline that they had put together up until now. It feels like this is the kind of thing where you want at least occasionally for there to be like a real callback, something that really pulls you in. Yeah, like one area that is like very recognizably like from the first two games yeah though i will say for me that was uh alchemoth like going into oh, yeah. castle and seeing the the thing well yeah like one of the early, once again one of the earlier moments where i was like oh this is like a specific thing i was like yeah kevis castle is there it looks like alchemoth and then you have the floating wreaths uh-huh. i'm like this is the ether sea but like it's gone it's just like lifted up out of it and now there's like a big crater underneath because like there's all the little reefs that you go to that connect to the castle there's an area no i'm making shit up i'm lying straight to your face (laughs) and to everybody else i'll never work in this fucking town again yeah uh there's an area called the aegis sea Mm. that you can go to but it's like a secret secluded area that has a super boss in it okay uh and i was like oh i never like looked up to see if it was right under where the castle is uh but it isn't because i've fallen off of the floating roofs before and what's underneath of them (laughs) is nothing nothing (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) so that ain't it um but yeah, it's very it, it is cool when you get those moments. So I just wish there was like a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, not to compare everything to Dark Souls, uh-huh. and by not to I mean to to do that. Uh, to do that, like it's like in the DLC, you go back in time mm-hmm. and you go backwards through Darkroot Garden, and it like slowly re- like you you it doesn't call it out. You just notice it eventually because you get really familiar familiar with all of the uh, areas in that game. So you get like that satisfaction of it being like a twist reveal, mm-hmm. and then you get the satisfaction of seeing a place that you've been in the main game in the past. But then, like right after that, it like unfurls into just new stuff. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like the ideal approach for something like this, where like you have it be like a slow, like this game nails it, like a slow reveal, just how much stuff there is to find, and then you want to like then throw in like a direct location to re-explore and get the satisfaction from that and then you can like you know promise check fulfilled (laughs) now like you can focus on the new stuff yeah seems kind of ideal to me i would agree um but in practice i think i like this open world probably not the best of the three games. I think I like it slightly better than two. I like all of them a lot. Yeah. I, th- I think twos felt too busy and ones might've been slightly too empty. So maybe this is like <laughs> the Goldilocks zone. Yeah. But also, I don't know. I I haven't had enough. That's all. That is an outright lie. <laughs> I have definitely had enough time with them. Uh, you haven't had enough distance from them. Yeah, to really like put it all in perspective. But I don't know. I really like the way this one was set up, and I kind of like the addition of of I've been calling them HMs. I don't know what they're actually termed in the game, but like abilities, oh, field skills, field skills that allow you to like go between places, and they're gated. Like, with behind other stuff. Yeah, it seems a little silly when when it makes, like, a whole big thing about you being able to climb. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I liked it too. One of my favorite things in the second game is that blades gave you different field skills, like mm-hmm. different like things that they could do. Um, you just, I, I like it when they add like additional things to do in the world that isn't just fight stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I like that sort of thing. Just to not let the comment go yeah. without at least one thing. Uh, Field skills were one of the coolest things about Blades and also the worst thing about Blades. It's it, like, yeah, it can be annoying the way they gate it. It's a real like, back and skill forth. you have nothing of, you need five of it. Yeah. So you have to go in the menu and like fucking re-equip everything. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's listening to this, Blades <laughs> the only two. I, I know that we don't disagree with you. It does suck <laughs> to have to change your party load out a whole bunch of times. Yeah. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Just executed badly. Yeah, a- yeah. AKA like the story too. of Xenoblade 2. Go uh-huh. listen to that episode. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, but I think I agree 100% um, with what you're saying. Uh, I think, like, the thing about 2, I think, is interesting is it seemed like they broke up the world the way they, they did to, like, make the game run well on the Switch. Like, you, you break up the world into different Titans, so you don't have to, like, render as much at once, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, like, they just cram the areas full of a bunch of stuff. So, like, I I remember, like, yeah, when you go into, like, a town, it's just, like, popping, you know, like, crazy. But, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it does feel a lot more dense. And then one, yeah, there are certain areas, but, like, I almost kind of feel like it's definitely a technical thing, Mm -hmm. but I think they lean into it, and maybe I'm giving the game too much credit because I love it. (laughs) But, like, it's like they lean into it. It's like a part of, like, even the box art where it's, like, the big open field with the Monado just plunked right in it. Yeah. Um, Like, I think the idea is, like, that the world is so big, and, like, by default, the camera's really far back. Like, I think they want to emphasize the side of the environments and, like, there being less stuff in it kind of like emphasizes it. Yeah, it gives the emptiness sort of gives it a vast feeling. Yeah. I kind of get that. I think the problems, the only issues that I ever had with ones, because I don't have many problems with Xenoblade 1. It's <laughs> yeah. a great game. I, just, I feel like one sells like the scale the most yeah. of all the games. And I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the worst thing about it is basically after you're done being awestruck by how big everything is and have to actually run across stuff, you're always like, there's got to be a closer skip travel point or yeah, whatever. like, thank God there's auto run buttons yeah. here so I can walk away. <laughs> I did that in, like, in the ether season. It's like, I need to swim to the other side, mm. so I just put the controller down and go, you know, whatever, have coffee. Make a sandwich. Make a sandwich. Um, and came back and the ether seat was on fire. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Um, uh, but the third game, I feel like never quite, it never got to that level. Yeah. Um, and I also felt a lot of the time when I was just running, this might be, this is another thing that I don't know where my, pre- like my preferences fall in line with the general public and feel like there may be a slight difference here. Uh-huh. The, I think this game just has a shitload more landmarks and stuff to warp to. Uh, because every time that I was running two places, it always felt very tense because I, it was always when I was in an area that I had not been in before, or it was very obviously not supposed to be in at my level. Mm. And so it would be that like, oh, I hope that big monster doesn't see me and I'm running and trying to get a location so that I can work back later or something. Uh, but most of the time I felt like I was doing stuff throughout. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I can't say it's been a while since I've replayed the game, so I can't really comment on the relative density. Fair, yeah. Yeah. But you can comment on the fact that we've gone back to blue balls. Uh, meaning, of course, the item pickups in the game mm-hmm. uh, are now just all over the ground instead of within weird dig points. Yeah. Uh, I like this better. I thought I would not like it better because it makes the world look like a fucking light bright. But it does also limit the amount of time that you spend stopped and just standing there. Flora heals an aching soul and all that. Exactly, yeah. Did two not have stuff laying around? I don't think so. I think it was Uh, all in collection points. That's probably true. I just completely forgot. (laughs) Because all the other games have glowy orbs. You just got those blue balls everywhere. Yeah, yeah. At least in this one, they definitely use the art assets from two though to like differentiate types of items. Oh yeah, you which get, is like, nice. Gear. Yeah, they aren't just blue balls mm-hmm. or blue diamonds like they are in X. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will say there's a, a side quest I did that required you to get 15 heavy pomegranates. Um, which is a weird item, but they all are, so let's not dwell too much on that. Mm-hmm. And I did get unreasonably excited like every time that I saw a pickup, because the fruit icon just is a pomegranate. And I'd be like, ah, is this the... But I was yeah. like, oh wait, it could just <laughs> literally be anything. Uh, but no, yeah, I agree with that. I like the the fact that they used art assets and the fact that items are back on the ground now. Yeah, it's, I, yeah I do think it's a better system. Yeah. That was kind of a uh, nothing point I just wanted to say. I don't know why. Uh, I brought it up. <laughs> so we talked about the the world design mm-hmm. um, and the way that that sort of functions in this game and a bit on like exploration and stuff. Um, I think related to that in some way are the game's themes and, and story and things. Um... Which, in the grand scheme of Xenoblade Chronicles Chronicles... Yeah, in the Grand Chronicle. Yes. I think this is my favorite story. At the very least, it is definitely my favorite on a conceptual level. Mm. I really like the ideas in this game. I just love Child Soldier. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... I liked it. I, I think I like it less than one. One thing, I guess I'm me, and uh-huh. I get attached to things. Um, but yeah, no, I did like it. It's definitely better than two. I think a lot about the storytelling feels like it's a direct reaction to people that didn't like the second game. I feel like the story itself is a little bit simpler, and it is like the writing is better, the dialogue's better. Like It, it felt like a focus. The character designs are better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to like uh, kind of course correct from the style that they did in in, in two, uh, I would agree with that. I would say, I think this game has. So I mentioned, the, I've mentioned the story on eat all of these things, but only now that we're on the third game and we're doing an entire podcast on it, can I feel like I can really compare in a way that I think is actually meaningful Mm -hmm. Um, because on the bonus episode we just did so I'm going to start with two which is a weird place to do it but Mm -hmm. I said that I thought that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 wanted to tackle a more mature story but did it in an immature way and was referring to the blades and 
sort of this like discussion of how people will treat them and I thought it was an interesting thing yeah. for them to unpack. Ethics. Yeah, like a bit like more of an ethical discussion. Because the first game story, as much as I like the first game story and I think is carried a lot by its characters, um, it is pretty simple, all things considered. It's kind of like a revenge story that turns into a this is why revenge isn't actually that good. Yeah, I think it works for me on like a Star Wars type level where I think it's like a really simple like but really effectively told just like good versus evil story for a lot of it like it's like Bionis versus Mechanis <laughs> and it's done in a way that I think is like really successful like there's a lot of mystery built up around the Mechanis and like the opposing force and stuff and then yeah then it goes into like a a little bit more of like a nuanced thing about like there's like gnostic ideas in it and about yeah. like you know like uh does the world have need for gods and things like that <laughs> um but yeah like i think it's like really easy to like get into and it's really effective and how it's like all set up i think it's like the execution of the first game story i like the most yeah and i think that like there's a the the themes in all three games are much more complicated than their stories are yeah 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 like yeah you're not you're not going to go into if somebody gave you a, a plot synopsis of Xenoblade 1, you would not be able to tell that person what the goals of the writing were. Because I feel like they were a lot loftier than than what the actual like narrative yeah. puts forth. This game, I think, is the least like that, probably. Uh, this game tackles a more mature theme than any of the previous ones, mm-hmm. in a more mature way than any of the previous ones. But I think it is also more... It is the most just narrative based there's very little in terms of nobody's questioning whether or not the world needs gods yeah there is this like question of do people will would like humankind be better off staying in one place where they're reasonably comfortable Mm -hmm. versus moving forward and like potentially creating something better uh which I think is kind of the core theme that it, it goes with for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual narrative itself is is much more complicated than in previous games. Uh, and I really liked it. I thought that the story was really good in this. Uh, and I liked a lot of the, the stuff that it did with it, I mm-hmm. guess. I thought it bookended really well. I liked the beginning a lot and I liked the end a lot. I don't know if it's just because it's a video game. It felt a little too back burner through the middle of it to me. I think, but it may it may be the way that I played it. I I don't, but I don't think it's the way that you played it. I don't think this is avoidable. Yeah, right. Like, but more so than the other, like the previous two games to me. I guess that's sort of fair. But, and I don't know if that's really correct or if it's just my <laughs> perception. I mean, in Xenoblade Two, I had a big fight with the praetor mm-hmm. and yeah and then i just left and i didn't come back for 30 hours mm-hmm. um and like that obviously is not the best way to experience the narrative that they were telling you uh and i would argue that if you're playing an rpg you aren't experiencing the narrative in the best way because nobody no human person can write a story that feels engaging 
for 60 hours. Yeah, unless it's, like, really hands-off, like a Breath of the Wild kind of thing. Yeah, that's probably... put, Especially, like, putting little... The way that it did it, because it was all a historical story. Yeah. Putting, like, little hints about the past. You couldn't yeah. really and do that. And the excuse that. for the hours of gameplay is that <laughs> you have to do all of it to get strong enough to fight Ganon. Right. And this you need something just... really simple like that. Yeah. <laughs> this one even has, like... Like, you'll play a lot of games that are, like, the time pressure is, like, the big bad has a fucking nuke, and once the FedEx driver gets to him, the it's fucking curtains for mm-hmm. planet Earth. All the ween will destroy the Earth. <laughs> exactly. Or Skyrim, if you don't uh, deal with him right now on the top of the mountain. Yep. <laughs> uh, and this game is, like, your time pressure is, like, well, technically Mio only has four months to live. Yeah. But, like, four months is a long enough period of time that in a game you can abstract that into any amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously they subvert that halfway through anyway. So, uh, so I kind of don't disagree, but also I don't know if I would have ever cared. I think that the yeah, bookends yeah. are the important part. Yeah, no, for sure. I I don't know. It's like I would almost compare it to like I think I felt similarly about like Final Fantasy X. There's something about like the middle chunk of the story I didn't really engage with. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still think it's just, that's the time when you're off racing Chocobos. Yeah, I feel like, (laughs) yeah, like more so than I do with other games. Sure, okay. Uh, I'd have to think about it more to really, like, dissect why. Yeah. But this game, it, the, the story itself focuses around these, we're gonna call them kids. Mm -hmm. To them, they're not kids. They are... Uh, near near dead geriatric they're the elderly mm-hmm. um, they live for 10 years they're all on their 10th year yeah but they live to a like biological age of yeah, 20 they're like adults yeah. it takes so long to for, for like if it took long for me to process exactly what that meant it's mm-hmm. like they're born Mm-hmm. And then their their growth accelerated to ten years, and then they bust them out, and then they train and do fights for a while, and then they die at twenty if they aren't killed before that, uh, which is a weird thing, and it's weird that it is like very specific. I'm sure there's some reason baked into the game why it's twenty, like why that yeah. is the specific age uh, that they die. But I think the concept is good. Um, and the concept when taken outside of the context of the game and inside the context of the game as well, uh, is very dark. Uh, this concept of people who are just constantly fighting, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then they're reincarnated. Yeah. And then we they, if we didn't say that they do it all over again, <laughs> well, that doesn't get revealed until later in the game. Yeah. Everybody thinks that they just have one shot yeah, and they should not, not miss, miss their chance, chance to blow. To blow. Uh, uh, arms are sweaty, whatever mm-hmm. I said on that, whatever episode. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. That is the thing. Cause like the game opened with you, you play as the three, uh, Kevis people. It's Noah, Lance and Mia. Uni. Or yeah, Uni, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> it's going to get, there's a lot yeah, of characters. There's a lot of names. Yeah. And, uh, you're like in a fight. And they're just like, do fight these guys, kill them. They're the bad guys, etc. And immediately I was like, not that I don't trust 
the Xenoblade team, but they do make Xenoblade Chronicles 2, so I don't trust them. Uh, and so I was like, I kind of hate these characters already. Mm. I'm like, I don't like their whole thing. I don't like the look. Everything's a little bit too like clean and straight. I'm just not a big, huge fan of it. Uh, too militaristic. Yeah, too much, too much military. Not enough human killing. Uh-huh. Too much human killing, in fact. <laughs> and too much military. And too much military. <laughs> uh, and so they go on their merry way, and then we get introduced to the the Agnes crew later. Uh, and it's like right at the moment where they introduce like the whole Ouroboros Mobius interlinking concept. Uh, and so you go through this experience with everybody. Also, uh, Mwamba dies. Yeah, Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, Everyone's favorite guy. It is. It's like he's like a meme now. Yeah. Uh, which is great. I think he should. I'm waiting for the Mwamba DLC with everybody else. Um, he's just this game's Van Dam, even though this game has Van Dam. <laughs> it also has Van Dam. He does the same thing that he did in yeah. Zombie Two. Uh, yeah, they go through all this, and then, then they meet up, and then you kind of get this idea of like, oh, now they're the rebels. Now they're gonna break from break everybody free from the control of Mobius, etc. And I think that opening sequence did a lot for me because I didn't like it, and then I really liked it later because it it spent so much time in that zone. Yeah. And then it got to the what was going to be the rest of the game. I don't know. I thought that the slow build really worked for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. I just I feel like maybe one of the things is that like after you escape, it doesn't feel like you're like under like much of any threat. <laughs> where it feels like there should be more. Like you have the, your whole like warning level. Yeah, and I, that feels like a completely hollow mechanic to me. Well. Consider also the fact that the flame clock mechanic yeah. is in the game for all of 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that's it. Like, the way it's set up, it feels like like a, like a system that you're going to have to, like, escape. Or, like, especially with the um, the whole initial setup where, like, everyone sees you as hostile, like, as, like, a black fog. Like, that's dealt with, like, five, like you know, like, five hours into the game and it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, I think, well, I have several thoughts. Yeah. But one of them is that the worst part about the story is Mobius. Yeah. And that is, and they leave a lot of it woefully unexplained. The hallucination of you as monsters, Mm -hmm. I believe, is specifically the power of that one Mobius. Oh, okay. And when you kill him... Nobody, just goes away. yeah, nobody else sees you that way. They test it when you get to uh, Izzard's colony. They're like, you don't see us as like a monster, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And he's like, nope. Yeah, like, cool. I, <laughs> I, um, I don't feel like I wouldn't have like wanted it to go on for like the whole game. Yeah, but like I, I just feel like there was like a certain like, as you said, like we're like a rebel group. We're gonna be like under the gun sort of thing like on the run the whole game and then you just aren't <laughs> yeah because by contrast this game is actually pretty relaxing yeah in between most of its like main story elements yeah uh i do want to say that i think having the flame clock in the first couple hours of the game and then just getting rid of it forever is like a mm, chef's kiss mm-hmm. uh master stroke move because it really does make you think 
about the implications of the system, you're like, oh, this is how they're going to incentivize combat, right? Because if you kill a bunch of monsters, then you can boost the flame clock and get buffs and stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, ooh, but what about, like, if I'm, like, having trouble with something, do I, like, have to go farm life to get the thing up? Do I have to keep killing human people to increase the flame clock? And it's going to be this moral dilemma where I could fight in a weaker state by not killing more people. Maybe there's a story I'm looking at. And then it's just like, gone. Gone. It's just never again. And I thought it was super. I love that they even bothered to put it on the screen and give you a tutorial on it. Because it really does set it up in a way. Because, like, even if you know the basics of the game, like what the themes are and, like, what you do in the game, you've seen the trailers... You don't know that the flame clock is something that you can get rid of. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it is there and then just isn't there, I thought was one of my favorite parts of the beginning of this game. Yeah, I like that part too. Like it, it, it calls the authority in the world like completely into question even more than it had been. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's like it's like the Emerald City. Like it's all smoke and mirrors. Um, I guess spoilers for the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Uh, the Emerald City, just a regular city. They just make you put on green glasses when you get there. Anyway. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, so you break them and it does nothing. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I do. I did think that was a cool revelation. Yeah. I guess we can round out the first uh, half of the podcast here um, by me asking you what you thought about the music in the game. Ah, I have a note on the music and the and it and it starts with music colon where you at? Because I felt like there I w- will not say that I did not like the music in this game. I felt like I was missing out on some great music that could have been there and it isn't. Because it, it's good. A lot of the music is good. A lot of the important themes are super good. The music, the game, the Xenoblade feeling is walking around with fuck all to do. And there's still being a goddamn like uh, jam playing at all times. And I felt like this game took a break on jams. <laughs> And it only they only jammed half of their toast this time. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of the music that were bangers were in important parts of the game for the bangers to be. But then there was a ton of uh, like kind of dead space ambient stuff that the other games just like weirdly don't have. It's like any band's third album probably isn't going to be wall-to-wall bangers. But this one was like, it, it kind of followed that pattern for me. Mm-hmm. I thought the music in one is, is beyond outstanding. The music in two is extremely great. The music in three is like, real good most of the time. But then half the time I'm just like, where's the music at? It's not even playing. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I thought it was actually, <laughs> I would be more negative and say I thought it was pretty lackluster. Damn. Um, but I think it's, I don't think the music's bad at all. It's just very not to my tastes. Mm. Whereas Xenoblade 1 and 2 were super my tastes. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah, not to imply that there's anything bad about not medicating an illness, but uh, <laughs> it felt like they gave the soundtrack to Xenoblade 1 and 2 Ritalin. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it is, it's, it, it's really toned down in comparison. Yeah, um, it, it feels like the team played Breath of the Wild and they were like, I'm really into the idea of like making the song sound fragmented. Because it's going to be like a world that's smashed together. It maybe took that to an extreme. A little bit too literal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I do. I like the motif of like the flute music and how all that sounds. Um, but yeah, I, I was fairly disappointed by the music because I just love the first two so much. Yeah. But flute players go off, though, because oh, yeah. this is the best game for flute players <laughs> yeah, of like, all time. Like, the trailer is amazing, because mm-hmm. it, it has, like, the part of the two of them, like, playing the flute on the hill and everything, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I love Xenoblade music. <laughs> it is, it's almost weird to some extent, because, uh, like, Xenoblade music is, like, a core element of what we like about the, the franchise, mm-hmm. and... To see the trailer and to think, like, what if Xenoblade music, but with, like, a very strong emphasis on theme and motif, mm-hmm. sounds like you take Xenoblade and, like, fucking Undertale and mash it together, and in your head you're like, that'd be, like, the fucking glor- most glorious soundtrack of all time. Mm-hmm. But the result is actually, like, they didn't really do enough, even with the flute motif, which is cool when it does show up, yeah. but it's only in a couple of, like, key songs, and I just wish there was, like, a little bit more yeah yeah i uh i i've covered everything in that note now that i've checked it uh though i will say i used the word bombastic in the note and that's something that is notable this music is a lot calmer yeah than the previous ones mm-hmm. the all-time great menu song though yeah the menu song is good a really good for menus mm-hmm. uh but just a purpose-built track right there. Yeah, yeah. Music, I'm sure, great in quality, not bad at all. Just <laughs> very different in style. Yeah. Well, you say you wanted to round out the first half. So let's do that by... Round out, much like an Ouroboros eating its tail. <laughs> And return anew. Uh huh. Reborn after the break. break. Woo! Didn't phrase it as a question. We've done it. The future is changing. I'm the girl with the gall. Nice one, Sam. Welcome back. I mean, I kind (laughs) of... I want to use the break divide as Uh a way to leap with both feet into the thing that I want to talk about more than anything else in the world. Okay. And that is uh, everything to do with classes 
and the way that combat plays in this game. But I do think that rather than going in with two feet, we should wade slightly and explain more generally the combat system. Because it's not going to make a lot of sense if I just go like, well, this one with the with this gem makes your whatever to do more what blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... <laughs> This game is different than the other game's combat systems in a couple of different ways, and the classes are kind of what I think is similar to Blades in the second game, one of the more defining features of it. But really, the absolute biggest difference here is that you have seven party members. Uh, Six at minimum, seven at most of the time. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, yeah, like, one of the things we talked about on the Xenoblade 2 bonus episode is mm-hmm. I think one of the bigger flaws of these games is that they are pretty slow to get into because there's like a bajillion tutorials uh, to explain the combat system early on. I think this game takes a lot of strides to uh, really cut down on that. And like they give you all six of the initial classes like right at the beginning of the game. Um, and then it gives you all six party members after like the intro part and just kind of cuts you loose with it. Um, and, you know, like using all the uh, classes together, levels them up for other people and lets them use them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And I think it makes it a lot more like interesting early because um, like in the other games, you're just playing as a protagonist for a really long time. Yeah. In fact, in, in Xenoblade 2, I feel like they very rarely gave you any incentive. I mean, <laughs> I'm calling out 2 because I'm a douche and just didn't like the game as much. Uh-huh. In 1, they give you literally no incentive to ever not play a shulk. Yeah, but also, like, you, you can also, like, each character can have three different blades, so essentially play three different roles. So, like, you could play as just Rex for the whole game. Yep. Even more comfortably than Shulk, because it wouldn't get old, because you have three different options. Yeah, you can keep variety. That you can keep switching out. Yeah, and I can attest to that. As somebody who really likes experimentation and trying to find new builds and things to do, I still played as Rex most of the time, because you didn't... Because late in the game, you don't have to fuck around with the menus to put different blades on it. Yeah, also he's got a grappling hook. Which is a cool thing to have. pretty cool, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uncontroversially a cool thing yeah uh in in three and this is actually what i was going to mention before and forgot um they to both tutorialize uh playing as classes other than attackers really really early um they're like Noah's like i'm tired and they're like oh that's cool uni will take point and it's like playing as healers and gives you like a, a a rundown like and there are mechanical differences that weren't really present in other games like playing as a healer one in xenoblade one meant playing no sense yeah and didn't make any sense and felt weak and weird how did they not make the healing arts green in the first game no yeah you know it's purple yeah, purple and pink. Those are the classic healing colors. Yeah, I guess pink, like hearts <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, it anyway, was strange. Uh, yeah, but there's like no reason, essentially, to play a healer in, in one. Um, it wasn't even, most of the time, optimal to, to have somebody who just healed. Uh, in two, 
healing didn't make any goddamn sense because everyone could heal essentially with uh, combo reactions mm-hmm. and just having arts that just dump potions everywhere. Uh, so and, like there are really very few dedicated healing things, and there was no reason to specialize in healing because you could pack a healing blade and non-healing blades on mm-hmm. one guy. And so there would be no real reason to specialize. Like, the characters had different, like, skill tree type things. But if you're playing casually, it didn't make much sense. And trying to play a dedicated healer in the game felt, like, weirdly difficult to do. I don't know. Yeah, in- just let Nia do it. Yeah, just let the AI... Let the AI handle it. Because <laughs> it just wasn't that fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finally made healing fun in the it's third game. It's so much more intuitive, mm-hmm. and it feels like, what was the problem, guys? Because, <laughs> like, um, you've only played a little bit of X. Like, in my opinion, I, th- I just one of the biggest reasons I want to replay it is, like, I played 100 hours of it and i don't understand how healing works in the game nice. you basically just like kind of can't do it <laughs> um and there's like certain things you can do that are kind of hard to pull off that can let you refill health but like mostly things are balanced around like you not really healing yourself ever yeah it's very weird yeah <laughs> um but yeah this one it's it's so much more intuitive and um I didn't like playing as the first two healing classes, but like there were a couple of them later on that I liked a lot. Yeah, I'll get into sort of like classes and class preferences um, pretty soon. Um, and even this was a tangent, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's weird because, yeah, it felt like in the first two games, healing was either weak, unnecessary, or just not any fun. Um, and that's coming from me, somebody who, like, cause a lot of people would be like, well, of course healing's not fun. Healing is healing. It's like the dirty job no one wants to do. Mm-hmm. I love playing support classes. It's like my number one choice when I'm playing a game that has this sort of uh, divide in it. And I was just basically unable to do it and have fun in the first two games. Um, and in this one, I absolutely can. But, yeah, like the like we were talking about, and... It does play in. Like, the combat system in this game, you have six to seven characters, and having a split of roles is important, and healing feels more important now than it ever has uh, in in the past. It feels entirely necessary. Um, One of the things that I've always liked about these games, and haven't really talked about in any sort of depth, and probably still won't here, uh, is that I think that the combat system really shines in long fights. And I think that... It's chock full of them. Yeah. The the reason I don't need to go into depth about it is because the game obviously also knows this and makes its fights real long. Uh, I think it's worse in 2 because the, the combat system works is really cool in long fights because you get this like huge build up and then release. Yeah. You got all your little combo arts or whatever they're called. Yeah, and like the blade weird combos. Orbs. Or yeah, whatever. the blade combos. Yeah. And yeah, you get to like do a chain attack and burst all the stuff. Man, it can be really tense when you have one available and you try to charge up your attack in time <laughs> to actually activate it before it goes away. Yep. Anyway, continue. It's good. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It builds tension. It releases tension. It's really satisfying to do. But then when you fight something that's like three levels lower than you, you're just like, and then it's over. It feels like really, 
uh, unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. And I think three also knows this and 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 makes its fights long to, in order to make them more satisfying. But then you also have six fucking people, and you can swap between them at will. Uh, and it makes the actual strategizing fluctuate weirdly between, and this is the first bad thing I'm going to say, mm-hmm. between being impossibly hard to read, uh, where it's like there's too much going on, there's all these health bars, there's a hundred blinking triangles all over the screen, uh, and being feeling like having six people is overkill where you're like just destroying something that feels like it should be more of a challenge yeah i feel like and i i haven't played two in a while i know you we were talking off cast and you disagreed with this like i feel like this is the easiest of the games Mm -hmm. and i think one of the reasons i feel that way is because you can have seven party members if anything's giving you even a little bit of trouble you can just slap a third healer in there um, and it usually is enough to, you can handily beat the thing that was giving you trouble after you do that. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's that you have so many more options that it's a lot easier to overcome a challenge if you are faced with one. Yeah. I think my biggest thing the I agree a lot with that. I think that the reason why it reads to me as being more difficult is that I found myself running into situations where I would need to prepare. Hmm. And in two, I kind of just bulldozed through the entire game, except for, like, two fights. Hmm. Yeah, I found, and I think I also bulldozed through two, but I felt like I bulldozed through this game That's pretty fair. handily. Um, and, I, and I don't know if it's because I, like, side-quested a bunch. Um, I ended up, like, because I take evening classes, so I kind of, I played a bunch of this and just, like, two and a half hour chunks like at night so i did a lot of side questing in the middle because i didn't want to do story stuff yeah because i didn't know when i might hit a two hour cutscene. <laughs> um so I, I i just and even though you warned me about it and i really tried not to over level i ended up around eight to ten levels ahead of the level curve for most of the game even though i was trying not to yeah you did you experienced less of it than I did? Mm-hmm. Um, my like basic thing. I, this is like one of the first notes that I took on the game is that I think that bonus experience belongs in the trash. I don't like bonus experience as a thing, um, or it's something that should be like gated more because the way that it exists now is it costs nothing to use, and they tutorialize it real early, and it makes you stronger and better mm-hmm. and if you are a player of a video game that's appealing you're like hey it's an easy way for me to get stronger so i'll do that and proceed or in my case i'll look at it and go maybe i could go up like a level or two because of the enemies where i'm at and then you try doing it and you're like god i don't want to press a and then move over and then listen to him be like i'm getting stronger now <laughs> on every single of my seven characters there's a button that just spends all of this at once so i would just hit that button and then go on with my day so i ended up like 20 levels ahead of everything by like chapter 5 Mm-hmm. And I was fucked because at that point I could not like level classes like they wouldn't unlock because I didn't have enemies to fight that were an appropriate level. And then 
so what I tried to do was move it to hard mode. And I played on hard mode for a long time, and on hard mode it made the fights last a little longer, but it didn't actually fix anything because it's still just comparing numbers to numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just stopped using. I stopped using the experience thing for uh, a long time, and enemies did not catch up until I was in the last area. Uh, there are areas you can go to and like farm, but I don't mm-hmm. like farming. I had just overdone it at some point in the game. Yeah, I, I I mean, I think I was at level like 35 when you warned me about that, which was like about maybe five levels ahead. Uh-huh. And I did not spend any of it until the final boss. And I was still like a consistent like 10 levels ahead of everything. Yeah. Yeah, the final boss is what made me eventually also spend mine yeah, like, in reserve. Um, I just did it because I was like, why not? Yeah. Um, and, hey, uh, let me tell you, that was the right decision. Yeah. We'll get to that later. <laughs> There's usually a level spike at the end mm-hmm. um, of, a, of an RPG, or at least a JRPG anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know they had bonus experience in 2 as well, yeah. and I, just, I don't remember it being an issue but I don't know if it was because, like, I saved more of my side questing t- for towards the end of the game, or... I, I don't remember. I know for a fact that 2 has fewer side quests, and mm-hmm. the ones that are there are longer. Yeah. Jesus Christ, this game has a million side quests. Yeah, this game has a shitload, and the first one also had a shitload. But I think that you just get more... They put the bonus experience in both games behind... Mostly behind uh, side quests and stuff. That's where you get like big chunks of it, mm-hmm. and there just are more. You will finish more side quests in this game playing casually. But I also didn't engage with two as much as I did with this game, so potentially take this with a grain of salt. I never felt like I was over leveled or under leveled in two. Uh, one thing I think this series has done great all the way up until now has been like I've never felt like I needed to grind anything in order to get on the level of what the story content was. And then in this game, I felt like I went way over that cap. And I think like you're designing the game (laughs) (laughs) just either because like it's, it's kind of a no win situation. Either you tell the player not to do side quests in which case the side quests are going to be easy and and feel worse because they aren't a challenge when you do them later uh, at the end of the game after you've gotten through the story content that you want to be at the right level for. Or they just go through the story content and then they have to stop and grind or stop and do side content in order to level themselves up to the point. So you're constantly like roadblocking them. Uh, I think you just t- I think you just tune the experience, yeah. and make it less prevalent. Yeah. Like I know I when I played the first game, I was playing it the Wii version yeah. way back in like 2016. Um, while we were doing this podcast, I was playing it on the side because I had more free time back then, and um, I I was just kind of mostly playing through the story and doing just, like, the occasional side quest, and I found myself pretty consistently under-leveled in that game. Okay. And it felt like the bonus experience in 2 was put in there to, like, kind of course-correct for that. Like, if you're just... Because I think, like, that's more common for, like, a JRPG person to just, like, want to play through the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it was put in there for those people, 
And it felt like it was balanced better in that one. And then in this one, it felt like they tried to correct it even more and overcorrected it and gave you way too much. Yeah. It's weird because, like, if they had called it anything else, if they had called it something more problematic... In Definitive Edition, doesn't it have, like, a system that lets you, like, store levels to, like, make the game harder? Not one that I knew about, but it was the first one that I played, so I wasn't looking for this I'm pretty sure it does have that. Like, Mm. you can, like, hold back experience and not spend it. That's possible. They should have put that in this. This game lets you de-level, but only after you've beaten the final boss. Weird. Yeah. I wish that they had just let you do it from the start, but I realized that that's a weird system to tell a new player. Mm -hmm. Like, did you ever want to be level five again? They'd be like, fuck no. (laughs) That's ridiculous. I like my big sword. Um... Yeah, in this game you can re- you can pull your levels back and then put them back, but only after you've beaten the game already, which is kind of kind of doesn't doesn't matter at that point, I guess. Um, yeah, I spent like a big chunk of the middle, like probably like a fifteen hour chunk of the game with Izzard in my party, mm-hmm. and I I could not get the class onto like any of my characters because like I just couldn't like I was not consistently fighting enemies at my level yep to like give everyone uh was it cp yeah class points the class points well and that that leads me to my other problem with the class system there's a lot of stuff i do like about it Mm -hmm. but the other problem that i have is that it's it's weird to be me and really like the customization that the class system offers but I don't like the fact that it feels like a grind that will never end. Because you want to, in order to make a build, hypothetically, you would need to have access to all of your tools in order to choose which ones to put on what characters. And the game gives all of the characters all the same tools, but you have to spend time fucking around with everything else in order to unlock them and then to level them to unlock other skills to put on people and for a huge portion of the game it felt like i was playing a more prescribed path it's like if you wanted to beat a pokemon game with every pokemon where you just like had to catch everything that you saw and then and then fight, train with it for a while, and then you would put it away and be like, maybe one day I'll see what you have to offer. But for now, I've got fifteen other things that I have to focus on. It, it felt, it felt like the build was gated to the end of the game, and to me that felt kind of bad. I never felt like I was in a situation where I needed to like bring my best party to the table. In Xenoblade One, I had a favorite party. That had, like, people, I I would play Fiora Ricky Dunban, and that was the one I would go back to all the time. In this game, it's like, I don't have, nobody has a class that I'm like, that's my favorite one on them. Like, except, actually, Seraph on Senna, but just because I like, I think the outfit looks cool on her. Mm-hmm. She's got, like, the fire, matches the fire motif. Yeah. Aesthetics. Uh, hashtag goals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but everything else, like, it was just like, I don't care, like... I need to put these numbers of these things on these guys in order to level up whatever on everything else. And so the characters that would specialize in a class and get it to rank 20, I would be like, cool, now you never use that class ever again. 
and it just felt weird to me. I don't know. I think I both agree and disagree because, like, I I usually it's which is weird because like I usually don't like <laughs> checklisty stuff in games. I'm not at all a completionist, but I liked that leveling up the classes was just like a goal that you had throughout the whole game. It was like always a thing to do. Yeah. Um, like I really liked trying to get every class to 10 on every character, Mm. um, up through the end of the game. Um, but like, I do agree. It did feel like it took the whole game long to do. (laughs) Like it felt like, I don't think they should have raised the cap to 20. Um, because then you have like 10 of them or whatever that can go to 20. Um, like I think it should have gotten to a point earlier in the game where you had them all and were able to level them up so that like the last like third or so of the game you could just do whatever you wanted yeah and not have the game yell at you to change the class once it's hit 10 on a character to switch it to something else yeah yeah it feels like something you should like finish and then get to like reap the rewards of before the end of the game yeah and I, I never got there. I played this game for about... No, yeah, me neither. I played this game for like 160 hours. And I'm not... It, it's not even close to everyone being at 20 on every class. Yeah. Like, it's not even fathomable that God, I will ever get it's there. It's wild to me that there's enough, like, side quests <laughs> to unlock the cap on all of them. Yeah. That's wild. And that's the other problem, is that a I, lot of I them are really hard to find. Yeah, I would have guessed that not all of them could go to 20. And this is actually, here's a PSA, a little tip, if you're playing the game, uh, and you feel like, man, there really should be a quest here... Uh, there's a bug that I have discovered that if you don't turn the game off ever, which is what I did, (laughs) uh, sometimes the little speech bubbles will just stop appearing. So you have to close the game, go touch grass, then come back, turn the game back on, and and they'll be there. Uh, so that's a little thing. But yeah, there were several that I, like, just couldn't find and had to resort to a guide. Like, how the fuck? Mm-hmm. Goddamn Juniper's quest. Um, I was missing a quest in Colony Tau, mm-hmm. I think, where she... Yeah, whichever uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Where, where they are from. And the problem was the guy who gives the quest is just, like, up on a skyscraper? That you're if you're ever just looking for something because it's a it's a uh, a fucking speech bubble quest, mm-hmm. not one that shows up on the map. So you would have to think to climb up a big thing and climb a ladder and go to the corner of the fucking world to find this dude. Uh, so Juniper was the last mm-hmm. one that I I unlocked two twenty, but fuck. <laughs> so there were some like uh, uh, Soul Hacker, which is one of my favorite classes in the game, uh, because it gives me something more to do, uh, and I'm a sick fuck uh, and just desire more things. Uh, I I took me a long time to figure out how to get his class cap unlocked, and so I have like everyone's at ten on him. Because I was, I had to use the class in order to get the skills, mm-hmm. and I would be like, "Uh oh, like what do I do now?" <laughs> uh, it's a real weird situation, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I agree with you. I wish that it would have just been done at some point. Yeah, 
it, it could have like everything could have leveled up like twice as fast mm-hmm. and gotten you through it faster. Um, Cause yeah, you you just you spread out through the whole game. You just keep getting them. Like you saw, I I hit level ten on every class I had except for one that I didn't know where it was. And, oh yeah. Um. So I had all of them but one, and I had I got everybody, the classes all unlocked in the final dungeon. So literally right up to the end of the game. What is your tolerance right now for post game spoilers? Um. Oh, I know that Nia and Melia. As it, you have three classes yeah, left. Yeah. Yeah. But main game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm only missing one. Um. I did a little bit of research today. Okay. Um. So yeah. Um. I think I don't know if I was in the middle of a thought there, but I'm changing direction now. Um. So I think it's interesting. I think they looked while they were making this at Final Fantasy a little bit um, because, like, I think it's interesting that it has a class system. Like, it's one of those things, like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I know Final Fantasy 3 and Final Fantasy 5 had a class system, and um, I feel like all RPG fans love it. Like, <laughs> they love that sort of thing, and it feels like it doesn't get done that often. Um, but every time it does, it seems like people are really into it. So I thought it was interesting to see the class system show up. And, um, and the fact that you get a boat is the other thing. Um, (laughs) it it felt like they looked at other RPGs and they're like, what haven't we done yet? Um, so I just wanted to make that little observation. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty much just agree with you though, a hundred percent that I wish that you could, yeah, it's really weird how, like, they make a thing about how you the characters all get these new outfits, mm-hmm. and the outfits are associated with the class. It's, like, a fun thing at the beginning. Um, and, but then, like, you hit 10 on those classes, like, in a couple of hours, and then you just never use them the rest of the fucking game. Yep. It's kind of strange. And, like, the sword, you know, like, Noah's sword is, like, a significant thing. That he uses like, and you just—he has it in the cutscenes, and you're just like, I haven't used that in fifty hours of gameplay. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but yeah. When it gets like, it has a, a problem with variety as well. Like, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, like Noah having his the Lucky Seven as like a, a key component of his his design and like his story. And you basically never use the sword fighter class ever uh, after you've maxed it out on Noah, who will be the first person you max it out on. Um, well, that's probably not true because they make you switch your class real early. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably max it out on Mio first, but yeah. then Noah probably comes second. Um and then they just let you put the Lucky Seven special unlimited sword on any class if you choose to. Uh, and it feels kind of, it feels weird to do that. Like to also just let him use that off that class, further disincentivizing you from using the class that he like is Mm -hmm. specializing in. Um, I wanted to, oh yes. Lack of variety thing that I said, Mm -hmm. there are five tank classes in the game. What the fuck monolith soft what why are there five tank classes there's like i did i actually did count and i've just forgotten mm-hmm. i think it is five tank classes 11 healers and then like 18 attacker classes 
Uh, that's probably more classes than yeah, there are. Yeah, that sounds like way too many. But it is, it's a fucking, there's yeah. a bunch of classes. And there's just way more attackers than mm. anything else. And there are just so few tanks. Mm. I feel like I didn't really notice because I feel like I just missed a couple of healers in the middle of the game mm. and felt like I was hurting for healers for a while. And I like playing attackers the best. So <laughs> yeah. it, it didn't stand out to me. I think that's probably... But towards the end, I was like... I feel like I've maxed all these out. I've run out of, of tanks. So yep. it, it didn't... Uh, I didn't notice it till the end of the game. I had a bunch of those mid... Well, I had... This was doubly a problem for me, and I think probably the reason that I think about it so much, is there's a period of time... It's really brief, strangely. Mm. But there's a period where you cannot use Monica as a, uh, as a, a hero... And no one had her mm. class unlocked except for the S rank for the class, which I think is uh, uni inherits uni. it. Yeah, yeah, for no reason. It's they try and tie it in with like the side quest. Yeah, this but... is just a sidebar that's probably stupid, <laughs> so we don't have to talk about it. But like once in it, once again, might be just the order I unlocked them. There was mm-hmm. a chunk of the middle of the game where it felt like Uni inherited every class, and it was, like, super shoehorned that she was the one that got it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually thought, because I had the same thought, but for Mio, mm-hmm. um, but I think it was probably just a different chunk at a different point of yeah. the game. And there's even a class that I remember being, like, from the opening cutscene, when I started the the hero quest, I was like, "Oh, well, obviously Mia's gonna get it." And then, like halfway through, Mia just like fucking <laughs> vanished off. into the background, and Senna was like the obvious inheritor at that point. I was like, "Well, okay, they they at least tricked me once mm-hmm. <laughs> with who it was gonna be." Um, but yeah, it's weird. Um. And the fact that they don't have that many tank classes means that if you were trying to run two tanks, which you probably should, I didn't a lot of the time. I think I always did. Mm. I think it's weird because if the tank is doing, like, well and everybody else is doing well, there's no real need for more than one tank. Mm. Uh, Unless you're in, like, a big melee with a bunch of people. But, like, uh, that never happens. And then the ta- and the tank will die, especially because it's a game with a lot of percentage based things. Like, no Zephyr is one hundred percent of the time going to evade every attack, mm-hmm. and sometimes they just get thrashed, and then you end up in a bad situation. It you've played these games all more recently, mm-hmm. um, but was Zephyr like a lot better than Evasion Tanks in the last two games? Uh, like, I feel like like playing my most recent playthrough of Xenoblade, playing as Dunban and playing as Morag in Xenoblade Two, and it felt like maybe my gems sucked, <laughs> but like I felt like when they had aggro, they died a lot easier in the older games. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right on that because uh, like I loved playing Zephyr in this. Yes, which felt like a new thing because like as much I like Morag as a character a lot. So I did play as her a decent amount, but I always felt like I was just really bad at playing it, uh-huh. and I don't know if it was me or it was the game. Yeah, as in the last segment, I talked a lot about how Xenoblade 2 doesn't give you a ton of incentive to not play Rex. Mm-hmm. I didn't switch up that much, so my experience playing as Morag, and specifically on an invasion tank, because you could make Rex an invasion tank if you yeah, wanted yeah, to. Yeah. 
um, was pretty low. I thought tanking in, in two was fun, uh, but not as fun as playing tank in Xenoblade One. <laughs> You're gonna say, but not as Tora. But not as Tora. <laughs> well, that's also a true fact. <laughs> uh, well, that's re- actually because to play as a tank, I prefer to play like my preferred tank to play as in. Xenoblade 3 probably would have been a uh, heavy guard. Mm-hmm. Except, and I'll get into it in a second, I think tanking sucks in this game mm-hmm. uh, as a player experience thing. Um, but I think you are right. I think that they made, they tweaked the numbers so that Zephyr has lower highs, but higher lows. It also might be like the aura system. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's easier to like be inside of a thing that raises your defense <laughs> or your evasion. Yeah, and yeah, there's people just fucking plugging flags into the ground yeah, all over the place. You're just getting buffed left and right. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> wild. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how they did it because they made healing fun, but they made tanking not as fun. Mm. I feel like tanks in the previous games were always like, I think it's because there's too many people on the field for yeah. tanking to be fun anymore. I feel like I liked tanking better than healing. That's personally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked um, what is it? Guardian Commander, Zephyr, and uh, whatever the Darth Maul lightsaber. The Lost Exile. Lost Exile. I liked yeah. all three of those. Asher's class. Yeah. Um. I'm not, I don't know. And with the healing I liked Izzard's class and the fans. Uh Troubadour. Yeah, I, I I associated all the classes with the characters. Yeah, yeah, that's And fair. did not even really look at the names like <laughs> for some reason. That's fair. I think uh, it depends on who it that's is. Miyabi yeah, and Izzard. Yeah, yeah. Miyabi, Izzard, and then Ashura for Lost Exile. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that like Fiona's good, both from you and the internet, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's so much happening on the screen that it was hard for me to tell like what she was doing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I never played as the class, because I got it pretty late in the game. Yeah, so Signifer... Uh, okay, I'm going to talk about this right now. The reason I like healers in this game, and the reason I think they did healers really well, Mm. is that a lot of what I like about healing in games is I like the mini-game aspect of healing, where it's a lot of, I need to divert my attention to this, or I need to accomplish a particular goal that isn't just reduce the enemy's health bar to zero. Like, when you play a tank in this game, what you do is you (laughs) use all your arts on cooldown, and you try to stay around people who are going to give you benefits to let you do that more often. Mm -hmm. And when you're an attacker with a few exceptions, you try and hit a guy, you use all your arts on cooldown and you make sure that your shit goes down and the tanks, their anchor quality that they had in the previous game came a lot from the fact that they had easier access to a lot of the combo arts, like the ones like break and and topple. topple. Mm -hmm. And in this game, anybody pretty much can get whatever art that will do that. And so that's de-emphasized. And so you really are just like, do as much damage as possible whilst standing in one place. Mm-hmm. Attackers, you have the mini game of moving around. And some of them have like, uh, <laughs> one of them has uh, the debuff system. I'll talk about in a fucking second. But 
a lot of them have like a little bit of a mini game, a thing that you can do yeah, here. Move and there. to the side, move to the back. Move to the side, move to the back, <laughs> move to the front. Sometimes, yeah. why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, or like with uh, Full Metal Jaguar, it, your damage increases the less you miss. So like you want to stack like the accuracy. accuracy yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, but healers, mini games everywhere, and I love them. Like I love uh, Troubadour. Because the art recharge thing, like, you got to make sure that you're putting that down where the important people are. And, like, it charges really fast. You can, like, run over and put one down on your attacker who's over on the side and then come back to the front and put one on your tank. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pause buff timer on her special is really cool because you can set stuff up and then pause it and then try and, like, you know, maintain the buffs and stuff. And, yeah, Fiona's class signifier is... Not that. I don't like playing as Signifer, but mm-hmm. it is brain dead. Like, you just do a rotation, and it just provides an enormous benefit from all of the buffs. And I also have no idea what any of them do or mm-hmm. are doing, but if you put two, if you did the same fight twice, mm-hmm. one with Signifer and one without, it will go three times faster. And I couldn't tell you why that's happening. Yeah, um, there's this... Um... Xenoblade YouTuber, I think his name was it Enel. Yeah, yeah. I watched. He did a Blade tier list. I watched that to or a Blade Jesus, a class tier list. Yeah. I'm uh, sure he's also done yes, a Blade he's tier done. List. He has, but um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I watched it earlier today, and um, Fiona's class is the only one he put in S plus as <laughs> the best class in the game. So mm-hmm. apparently, it's really great, but in a way that. Is hard for the average person to tell why. I think I would debate. It's probably hard for everyone to tell. Yeah, they like they intuitively you know that buff means a good thing, and that's all it has. (laughs) It just produces buffs. Um, But yeah, that I really liked a lot of the the healer classes Mm. because they provided sort of cool shit like that. I think my favorites are Troubadour, and I like Stratagus. Uh, I really liked uh, Teach's class, mm. but it's really not much of a healing class. It was yeah. just fun to play. Yeah, I didn't really care for that one, mm. personally. Yeah, I've even forgotten the name of that one. Yeah, so. it's very weird. Mm. Like the name is, or the class? Both. Or, <laughs> I think both, yeah. Uh, yeah. But... I want to go off for a minute, and I realize I've just gone off for 39 minutes and 19 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about the machine assassin who you would have just discovered today Mm. Uh, and why I hate it and it's my favorite class Um, (laughs) machine assassin is a class that is based around giving the enemies debuffs and I love it because it's like main art to do that is an art that (laughs) that will uh, cause a random debuff. So it's not like you set up like, oh, the arts that give the best debuffs or whatever. You just roll the fucking dice and hope that what shows up is good. And that appeals to me as a chaos lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do is just random shit. Uh, and I love that as like an idea for the class. And it has like an ability that makes debuffs more likely to trigger and all this kind of stuff. But nothing is vulnerable to debuffs at all in the whole game. Mm-hmm. You basically can't apply a debuff to anything, and the class is terrible because of it. And it makes me feel so shitty 
Because it's not available until, like, the very end of the game. And everything you're going to fight is going to resist it. Yep. It has a, an ability that applies a debuff called Resist Debuff Down. But the enemy can, can resist the debuff resistance <laughs> debuff. So it just fucking does nothing. <laughs> it's so irritating. And, like, I really like the whole quest to get it. Uh, once I figured out where the fuck it was, um, it's just like a whole thing. Uh, so I'm pissed about that, and I hope that it gets like massively buffed in the future. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that can be fixed, yeah, because they're gonna patched. support it, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I feel it feels like another thing that's like a victim of the fact that you have so many characters and they have to balance around it, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, once you get oh, so far into the game, like everything resists everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is unfortunate. Yeah, it gets harder to break stuff, so you can't do the combos as much. Yeah. Another thing that spins off of the, the class system and the fact that you level it up with class points mm. is there's an increased amount of special monsters in the game as in comparison to the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's the one with the blue flames... Um, and then there's the, the unique ones with the orange flames on their health bar. Yeah. Um, and I found this to be like pretty fatiguing, (laughs) uh, by the end of the game. Like the fact that like so many enemies were like special larger health pool enemies and fighting them so often. I don't disagree. Um, in fact, some might say I agree with that thing (laughs) that you said, um, but I think it also contributes to another thing that I have an issue with with the combat system. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get into that because I, I think that is true. And I think that it also really hinders exploration where you'll be running through and like you're going to like the AI is trying to call your attention to like a hundred things at once. Like, there's a skirmish over there. Mm-hmm. You already did it, so you get nothing for participating in it. Oh, there's a supply drop. There's a supply drop. Look over there. You see that? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that a rare, sparkly enemy? Mm-hmm. It's oh. vomiting up a bunch of items. <laughs> yeah, he's puking at items over there. Oh, that's a rare one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to go from point A to point B. And, like, I can see these things with my eyes. Yeah. They don't need to yell at me about all of them. Even with my eyes, I can see those things. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, it is fatiguing. Especially near the end of the game, where they find it more necessary to, like, force you into enemy encounters. Mm. So that you don't just run through stuff. And you're like, great. Now I'm in a fight that's going to take 15 minutes to get to the next area. Yeah, this is um, something I think... You were watching me play Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> okay. Uh, when that came out. So in the the old year of 2020, when we weren't doing anything else. Mm. Um, so I was playing that, and I, I, you were, I was fighting, like, a rat or something. And it took forever. And I was like, and you commented on that fact. Um, and I was like, yeah... Like, there's all this shit that you can do, but, like, it's just a rat, so I kind of just want to beat it to death, you know? Like, and that's something that you can, like, run into with these more complex systems is, like, you you go into a fight with, like, uh, an enemy, and you're fighting it, and then you get down towards the end, and you're like, I should chain attack this. 
dies for the bonus class points mm-hmm. so that I can level the classes up faster or whatever. And then, but you're like, oh, like a whole fucking chain attack is going to be like an extra 10 minutes on this battle. And, you know, it's like, you don't want to have to like do that for every enemy. And it feels like 50% of the enemies are like special enemies that will give you 300% points. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you should fight them all and that you should do chain attacks on all of them. And it can, yeah, it can be pretty tiring. Yeah. This weirdly harks back to something that I mentioned in the Blasphemous episode. Um, and it's something I should bring up more often, but don't. Because mm. I'm me and have a problem. And that is uh, optimal play being so vastly different than, like, intuitive play. Mm. Um, in Blasphemous, I was talking about the fact that you can, like, refill your magic by oh, stabbing yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. and then just resting uh, to get your health back. Yeah, and I didn't even know that was a mechanic in the game. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just, like, a thing you can do to be more efficient, but it just takes time and isn't fun. Uh, in this game, chain attacks have always been really powerful. Mm-hmm. This is the worst chain attack variant by infinite. It's, it's, I don't like it. Like, I just think it is bad. Mm. And it's the only time I've thought that about a chain attack. And yeah. I've never loved them. <laughs> I actually, I find it really satisfying, mm. uh, like, to actually, like, hit the number thresholds and stuff. Sure. But, like, yeah, like, it's just, you're doing them all the time. That's the problem. It's like, I, they seemed more rare. Yeah. In the other games. And if you're comfortable with your party setup, Every chain attack, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, and it helped in the first game that you could use party gauge to revive uh, characters. So you could spend it on something else (laughs) other than chain attacks. And you didn't have to use it to level up your class. That was the big downside of chain attacks in those games is that if you used a chain attack for a big burst of damage and somebody died yeah you were fucked yeah you couldn't get them back up and so it was this like risk reward thing where you had to determine like oh is the chain attack going to kill them or like is it just worth the damage boost right now versus am i going to lose the fight Mm -hmm. which is a much bigger uh like risk this one because it's not tied to it and i will say i think that the healer is the only one who can pick up a dead guy change is a good one. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It does it does feel bad though when your healers both die to sure like does. no fault of your own <laughs> and then there's just nothing you can do except for like switch no or you could just run away. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe you can make a comeback, but it is very annoying. Yeah. The amount of times that it created an actually tense moment where the healers were down was far outclassed by the number of times that I just put my weapon away and Yeah, and and you were like, god damn it. (laughs) Like, why does the healer have aggro right now? (laughs) It still feels like a good idea to me, and I think part of it is probably because it was never through no no fault of my own, because I was playing the healer. It was like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing yeah, that. No. Yeah. I I know for a fact, if I worked on at Monolith Soft mm-hmm. and somebody handed me a piece of paper that was like, new idea for game, <laughs> uh, only healers can like revive party members. I would have been like, yes, sign off on that. That's <laughs> that makes sense. That's a good idea. Uh-huh. But like in practice, it yeah, it leads to enough annoying moments that I don't know. Yeah. Once you clued me into that one item that lets uh, one additional character 
uh, revive people. That was like a game changer, though. You can uh, you can buy those oh. for ninety nine gold napon coins. Oh God. <laughs> I feel like I only ever got like forty of those. Yeah, I got ninety nine once and used it to upgrade a gem to level ten without mm-hmm. having to get all the fucking material. Uh, gems also suck. I don't think I need to go into uh, any depth on that at mm. all. Uh, I finished the game and the highest level gem that I had was a level six. I think mm. I just no, I was lower than that. <laughs> yeah, I just did not fuck with it because it was just too much like weird grindy farmy shit, and it had no way of like indicating that you had met any of the requirements. Yeah, they didn't feel as important to me in this one. Um, yeah, and yeah, like it was like a definitely I feel like a imperfect or flawed system in like the first game, but. I feel like it was easier to, like, uh, synthesize them. Yeah. I actually feel they were similarly... More, they were more important, too. Like, the difference between running an evasion tank or even Shulk, like, mm-hmm. without uh, evasion boost on, was huge. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like it, it did a lot more. Because this one, like, <laughs> the one gem that I increased to 10 was the attack one which mm-hmm. adds like 70 attack and like if yeah, you put it on an attacker the... they have like 1100 attack normally so it doesn't really feel that impactful yeah and then the one that makes your healers res people faster mm-hmm. is pretty good too oh yeah yeah life-saving expertise yeah highly recommend to everybody yeah which but I, one mean... I was using early on because it is intuitively good and then kind of forgot about managing my gems mm-hmm I was like, auto build button. <laughs> well, that's that. another point uh, I wanted to make. Mm. It's another thing you get a ton of in this game is accessories, accessories just yeah. stuff, uh, abilities even, too. And like That's way more manageable, but like starts to get to be a lot. You're like... Uh, I slow it up this class. Like I don't, I don't want to have to like go through and reevaluate everything that I'm using. So uh, I can just hit the auto build button. Yep. And sometimes, yeah. Think... You end up re-examining it and being like, oh, wait, I don't like any of this. But no, for the most part, it's a fucking godsend. Yeah. I like the fact that the gems exist to an extent because it gives you a few more options. Yeah, I like that they tried to streamline it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, way fewer, and then you can, if you have one, you can put it on everybody. Yeah, so there's not, it's, it is still a massive grind to get the highest level ones, but it's not as much of a grind as it used to be. But, uh... I like that it gives you options, and I like that a lot of accessories gives you a lot of options. The auto-build button is uh, 100% a necessary thing to play this game. Because I feel like if you spent that long in menus, every time that you changed a class, uh, this game would take 7,000 hours. Yeah, like, I feel like there's got to be like literally like 1,500 accessories in the game. Yeah. And it's compounded by the fact that... Which is like armor, if you don't know what accessories are. Right. They act like rings in, yeah. in games a lot do. Uh, like a talisman <laughs> and like Hollow Knight or whatever, a charm. They found the exact middle ground where I love Xenoblade 1 because when you put armor on it changes what your character looks like mm-hmm. and hated in Xenoblade 2 that you couldn't change what your characters look like at all. Yeah, unless uh, you do the DLC costume. Yeah, except for special so costumes. You, yeah, you can have like a bathing suit party. Exactly, which is what I want, obviously. Yeah, obviously. And then in Xenoblade 3, I like that the classes all have a unique costume. Mm-hmm. 
But I do wish that I could just like put dumb goggles on somebody. That's what I want. I want a little stupid thing so accessories don't really do anything. Mm. But whatever. Not important. I use the auto build button all the time. And I'm the biggest make your own build guy yeah, in the whole world. There's just so many things. It's just too many. And you don't want to spend that much time on any one class that you aren't even going to be playing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to make sure that fucking Tyon's got his great necktie on. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to have him sit there and do that while I play a different guy. Yeah. And wait till he hits level 10 on his thing and then change him to something else. Maybe I'll play him then. Who knows? But I'm not right now. Uh, it's unreasonable. Yeah. I want to say this now. We're way far away from where the appropriate time to say it would be. Uh-huh. But I've never heard anybody else talk about it, and I want to break this news. Uh <laughs> The, All right. the Machine Assassin class uh, is unlocked through a character whose name is Number 7. She gives her name as Number 7 okay. because she's like a deprogrammed human, essentially. Like, she's a person who they've only ever treated as a robot, and therefore she thinks of herself as, like, a unit number. Uh, and okay. Senna's like... <laughs> I can't keep calling you number seven. No person should be Ned's dehumanizing to call somebody number seven. So she makes up a name for her. That is, has to be just a one-to-one g- joke at the people who play Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and refer to Fiora oh. as number seven because it was a big spoiler. And so they would call it, they, but they couldn't resist talking about mm. the class so I, like, I didn't even think about that. Character number seven. I was just sitting here thinking about how Seven and Senna are so similar. That is true, yeah. And she does inherit the class, so mm-hmm. you know, who knows? I mean, I I knows. I know they're now, making I mean, a Fiora I, joke. I would, I would bet, yeah, that is intentional. Seems like it. Yeah. Uh, and also, just because I want to get these things out of the way before, presumably, I don't know what your notes are saying. But I'm guessing that we want to talk about fighting bosses in the end of the game pretty soon. Yeah, that's exactly what my notes are saying. Good. Um, <laughs> but I want to get this out of the way real fast. We talked about the darker themes in the game. Mm. Um, and I think that Sigiri, number seven, is the is a good example of it. It's like a very, like, knowing that they're human beings. It's kind of a fucked up situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, actually, with Colony Zero, which is what she's there's like a whole quest line about them i think they do it pretty well because the char- there are characters who are more cognizant of their weird situation than she is mm-hmm. uh and so it's this little back and forth i think colony mew uh that fiona comes from is one that is a huge missed opportunity because it's an extremely dark storyline about people who have zero idea what oh yeah they're doing they're just in a war and don't realize the implications of it and are being like sheltered and then suddenly are forced to face the realities and of it and they bury all their bodies in this flower garden <laughs> yeah it's so fucking dark or it could be and they yeah. don't really do much they're like with they're it. naive yeah it's like kind of like a uh uh fucking not the Grapes of Wrath, the Lord of the Flies. Mm. I'm trying to think of books I've read yeah. to sound smarter on this podcast. Uh, it's kind of like a Lord of the Flies thing, except they never go full 
into it. Yeah. Um, and so my larger point is I don't think I've ever advocated for this before in, in any game that we've talked about. I think this game could have used more gore. I think there could have been more blood in this game uh, to really drive home its themes because it doesn't feel like a proper rebuttal of this system when everything is so bloodless. Like, that you just the other day watched that cutscene where the dude who interlinks with Yorin is like, oh, he took their heads and collected them and whatever. His name was uh, Dickhead the Head Cutter. And he's like, he was D. I don't remember what his actual name is. The Head Full Horseman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the Head Having Horseman. The hash, the Head Slinging <laughs> Slasher. <laughs> But then, like, they do a cutscene showing his, like, brutality on the battlefield, and he's just like, yeah, like, yeah. nothing happens. Yeah, there's, like, a, I don't remember the context well enough, but there is, like, a scene where Uni specifically says something like, and yeah, all that blood, or something like that, and there, I mean, there's, it's, it's bloodless. Yeah, there's just nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I know, I can 100% agree, especially, yeah, this one definitely goes for, like, darker, uh, um... What's the word for it? Uh, undertones? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's the word I want. But, um, yeah, it's got, like, darker themes going on in the background um, just under the surface, making them seem even more sinister. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it definitely would have benefited from actually showing blood. I don't know if they are, like... I, f- I always feel like Nintendo is trying to position Xenoblade to sell better than it does. Yeah. I mean, it sells, like, fairly well, but, like... Um, yeah, like like Xenoblade Two came out like the first year the Switch existed, and then this one feels like it's trying to cater to the people that didn't like the second one and reach a wider audience. Yeah, so I feel like it's probably dictated by that, <laughs> if I had to guess. Yeah, they did say shit a lot in this. They game. did. They did curse. Mm-hmm. It's a real. It felt like it clustered. It kind of did. Yeah, like it, they well they came up with their own curse words. Like a spark is one of them. Yeah, spark, spark in hell, snuff, and yeah, flames, whatever. Um, so yeah, like why go through all that trouble when you're just gonna use regular curse words too? It felt kind of weird. And yeah, it did it, feel like there's sometimes when I think specifically Lance's voice actor, it just sounded like he said fucking hell uh-huh. when he said spark in hell, <laughs> like. I have to wonder if the voice actor tried to do that on purpose to see if he can slide it past them. Yeah, just do a little sneaky. <laughs> just kind of make it kind of sound like fucking hell. Yeah. This is something that is probably better talked about in the Xenoblade 2 episode forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Maybe in like a year from now? Yeah, like the distant future. Um, but they did make an effort in... Because the first game, the whole British... Uh, predominantly European voice cast was like a kind of a happy accident because the game got uh, localized for Europe and then they just said we'll just send the copies to yeah the, they the weren't gonna Americas. release it in the states but then there was like a petition that apparently actually worked this time <laughs> yeah. uh, and so they were like oh well we have this English version we'll just release this in the US mm-hmm. and then in the second game they did more to specifically use the accents to differentiate 
location, mm-hmm. you know, like the real world. Yeah. Uh, which I think was really cool that they did in the second game and worked really well. And then in this game, because everybody's sort of a hodgepodge, it gets like all over the place. Yeah, it's kind of random. But <laughs> I do feel like the curse words sounded better coming from certain characters. Like hearing Santa say any of the made up curse words felt really forced and awkward. Meanwhile, everybody else sounded way more natural with it for yeah. some reason. Yep. Just yeah. anyone with an American accent, really. Yeah, Uni and Lance, I felt. Sounded the most, yeah, and Tyon and Santa sounded the least natural saying mm-hmm. them, yeah. It's just real weird like that. Mm-hmm. All right, I, let's talk about bosses <laughs> and the end of the game. All right. Uh, what did you think about, about them? <laughs> um, God, I don't know that I have really much to say about bosses. Mm. Yeah, I don't even know where to, where, what I would comment on i guess that's fair i think that bosses i think in this game bosses highlight a lot of the thing about xenoblade that is like hiding under the surface that people don't want to talk about Uh uh-huh which is that every enemy is just a differently sized water balloon Mm. and you just sort of have to hit them a lot fights are pretty samey yeah and i think it's been kind of true for the whole franchise and because all of the Mobius have a similar vibe and look to them, it emphasizes it. Because realistically, if you want a, a game where the enemies feel unique and different to fight, you play like a Dark Souls or like a Devil May Cry. Mm-hmm. Like things where the enemy interaction is like a key part sets. of the game. Yeah. yeah. And in an RPG, it's like usually it'll be normal nothing attacks. Mm-hmm. special moves yeah status moves and this follows sort of that same grind and i think that a lot of the mobius just feel too the same for me yeah no i agree um well and we actually haven't even really talked about the ouroboros forms oh, true yeah um they i didn't particularly like using them um and i think it's just because like to me they felt like they were just like one more thing <laughs> Um, and they didn't really feel like integral. Like most of the time, you'd k- be killing an enemy before you even had a level one interlink. Uh-huh. Um, so, and it would be really annoying when the AI would always use it when there was like this much of the health bar <laughs> left. Um, they, yeah, it just felt like super unnecessary for a lot of the game. Um, yeah, so like, I just ended up like not really using it. Yeah, I, I didn't use it very often, but it was because it is the antithesis of everything I like about the combat system, mm. I think. Um, part, the re- the thing I like about playing these games has been heavily established over years at this point mm. That is that I like customizing and making shit like... I like seeing what the synergies are between different attacks. That's, to me, what makes the water balloon problem not a problem. Because yeah. I just want a big water balloon to practice my moves on. To pop. To pop. That's probably not even... Water balloons are very fragile. I feel like mm-hmm. I probably should have used a different thing. Yeah. I was imagining something that exploded into blood, and uh, water balloon came to a mind. A meat bag? Like, a big meat bag is what they like. A sandbag, like Smash Brothers? Yeah, like a sand... Yeah, one of those. Um, but filled with blood. But filled with blood. <laughs> uh, and so, I felt like you didn't build the Ouroboros. You mm. could choose some arts, but for the most part... 
all you were doing is mashing a button and then when it executed the art you mashed the next button that you wanted to use yeah a lot of the time for me i mean i that's totally true but a lot of time for me it just it felt like even in even extra baby mode on something that already <laughs> felt like it was easy a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah and i mean i used them on occasion but like yeah like boss fights is why that's why i brought it up yes because yeah. i did use them in some boss fights yeah, it, it it felt like the efficient thing to do sometimes. Yeah. It never once saved me. Like, the AI uses it all the time to just prevent dying, mm-hmm. which is fine by I did me. do that a handful of times. Yeah, I feel like every time I would try to do that, I would not hit it fast enough uh, and die anyway. Uh, but who knows, maybe I'd suck ass. You're bad at chicken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know when to jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's... Fair and a good place to to bring it up in terms of boss fights. Yeah, because there really wasn't that much that really did it for me in this. Yeah, like there's just not a lot that stands out. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, and thinking back honestly to the previous games, I kind of have trouble with uh, thinking of real st- like there were standout fights in two that I thought were really hard, and I thought there were standout fights in one that looked really cool. If I could fight in goddamn outer space mm-hmm. real cool uh and this one was mostly fighting dudes on ground <laughs> and so it wasn't it didn't bring as much uh joy yeah to me i do want to mention that final boss for a second oh yeah because i didn't level before i played it and also i had sigiri in my party and a machine hacker class or machine mm-hmm. assassin class uh, attached so my first attempt was uh Big joke on me. Uh, How far into it did you make it before you died? So it was the third phase. B- oh god! Before the halfway point where Melia and uh, and Nia. Because yeah, I was like, while I was doing it, I was like, oh god, like having to do this over would suck ass. Having to do it three times sucks worse. <laughs> Uh, it took me about an hour and I would probably be about an hour and a half uh-huh. on the first attempt because I watched the cutscenes. Uh, you can't skip the cutscenes at the beginning where he shows you the screen mm-hmm. and then they do the interlink thing. So you do have to watch that every fucking time. The second time I just took the cla- those guys out, I was still like a level or two under the final boss. Mm-hmm. That I was like, I'm sure it was just my class setup that sucked. So I moved them around a bit and got rid of machine assassin because I knew that it wasn't going to fucking do any debuffs on the final boss. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I swapped it up, brought in a, a third healer. I think I brought Miyabi in and changed my classes to make sure everybody was on something that was at least reasonably good. Um, <laughs> and not that they necessarily had levels in them, but, you know. Um, I went in again, also a few levels under, uh, this time, I think, on normal mode. Uh-huh. And I made it less far into <laughs> to the fight. I think I died during the... Uh, the. It was a weird place to die, if I'm being real with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made it through the three Kevis members, and uh-huh. then they send reinforcements, and then I died on the Agnes part. Weird. Yeah. Uh, or I died right after. One of the two. It was like a very like quick succession <laughs> death. Uh, and that was like another hour and 15 minutes. And that's when I was like, that's enough Xenoblade Chronicles for the day. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I took a break and then I went uh, and did some other stuff, like go to work, which uh-huh. I had to do at that point. 
uh, and did a little bit of like grinding at work, fighting unique monsters mm-hmm. uh, for the soul hacker stuff. And then eventually it was just like, oh, wait, hold on. I got all that. And then put like eight levels in me uh, and got to like level 85 and just beat him on the next try. Yeah. Fuck that part. Fuck having to go through all of that every time you lose. Uh, the fact that I would recommend being over leveled for the final boss is not a good thing. <laughs> You definitely don't want to be under leveled. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to do it twice. Is yeah. my thought. <laughs> yeah, I, when I played Xenoblade One, I died to Zanza a handful of times. <laughs> you have to you have to run through space and fight all of the ghost mechons on the way. So it's similarly shitty. That sucks pretty bad. Too. Um, but I, yeah, as you know, I was massively over leveled. Yeah, you sure for were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The final boss of Xenoblade 2 was not nearly as bad, and I hated no. it, too. Yeah, it was just kind of lame. Mm-hmm. Zanza's weirdly the best final boss. Yeah, Zanza's pretty cool. Uh, 2 is bad because it does the thing that I hate about Xenoblade combat, which is where you fight something that's not anywhere fucking close to oh, you with you, a sword. You, and you can't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, the final boss of this game is like that, too. Yep. It's like a big face over there. <laughs> and you're and, standing way over yeah, here. Yeah, and then like you'll like weirdly we're hitting it a second ago and now you're just standing there. <laughs> Something I guess pushed you back like a unperceptible amount and uh-huh. now you're not doing auto attacks anymore. Yep. It's very weird. And like it you're like, How long has it been since I noticed mm-hmm. that I wasn't doing <laughs> auto attacks? How much am I wasting my time? Uh I like the visual on the second half. I think, mm-hmm. but I don't like the fight that much. Uh, it takes away any of the mini game fun that attackers have because you can't yeah. go around him. <laughs> uh, I, I, my, I think I thought it was mostly fine. I, I thought that Z or Zed mm-hmm. was a pretty weak villain. Sure, he has like no presence in the game. Yeah, so it wasn't really very satisfying to fight him. I'm gonna give. Well, it wasn't very. Sa- I'm not going to defend that because it wasn't satisfying to fight him. I didn't really like it, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that his character lives up to final boss status either. Yeah, at least like Zanza was Klaus slash Shulk. Mm. You know, he didn't wasn't really in the game either, but he had like it worked. Yeah, and Malos and whatever and two is been there the whole time. Yeah, so. you have actual interactions. Yeah. With him. He's probably the best character yeah. to Final Boss transition. Mm-hmm. Um, my This is my limp defense of uh, Z as Zed as the boss of Xenoblade 3. Mm-hmm. In that I like that he is... I like Melia's line, he is not a person... He is a concept. I heard her say that. It was like, it sounds like you are me describing a movie I like to someone who isn't interested. Sure. I was like, now I'm in. Like, what do you mean he's a concept? It's like, he is the desire of every living person not to move forward into the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I like that as a villain, conceptually... In Xenoblade, Mm -hmm. because Xenoblade, traditionally, their bosses are all a little bit more metaphysical than your traditional JRPG god boss. 
Uh, and I think that that's really cool. And I'm glad they didn't do another God where you fight a God. Mm-hmm. And uh, who's the same guy? Who's also the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> At least it's a different guy. Yeah. Um. And so that part about it, I thought was cool. I didn't really like the fight, and I don't think that Mobius is very compelling. Yeah. They're all cartoon villains, and some of them are cool because of it, mm-hmm. but it's just not very deep, and that kind of is what doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um. I think conceptually it is very like a, a a good idea on paper, but like you still could have had him like show up and interact with the characters at all ever. <laughs> um, same thing with Mobius. Like yeah. some of them kind of fuck with you a little, but not really. Yeah. A lot of them are killed in like a side quests. But, I think um, all of them. Yeah, like, most of them. Most of the Mobius fights happen during like hero quests. Yeah, so. You want to talk about the end of the game? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, so I feel like I usually hate fan service, but I liked the little bit of like direct fan service you get at the end of this game. It felt really earned. Um, I liked it when Melia is revealed that she still has Shulk's replica Monado. That felt one felt especially appropriate because she had feelings for him, and yeah. it makes sense that she would hold on to that. Um, and then I was actually weirdly happy to see Poppy <laughs> uh, when she ran out too. I was like, you know, I didn't really, I didn't hate Poppy or anything, but I didn't really like her either, and it made me like weirdly happy to see her. And I was like, okay, yeah, she's a robot; she'd still be around. Yeah, she lived. That's fun. Uh, well, also, it is notably Poppy Alpha. I feel like if mm. Poppy Cutie Pie, like, yeah. sultry, slow you gotta have out, regular. I'd be like, god damn. You gotta have regular Poppy. Yeah, like a saxophone. Can we talk about this also? Uh, is this the picture? It's yeah. the picture. Okay, so I was gonna... This I was, I was, I was building up to. Good. So, the first time I saw this... I, you know, it was kind of washing over me. They show it for, like, five seconds. Same, yeah. And then I looked at it again, and then I was like, I think it's funny when they pushed in on it, Tora's cut off. That also <laughs> feels like a joke, an intentional one. Mm. But then I'm like, okay, so we have all the characters from Xenoblade 2 standing here, right? Yeah. We're Got, sitting. We're sitting. In you know, oh, I'm, getting, I'm getting to it. A matron. I'm getting to it. You got, you got Morag and Brigid. You got Toro and Poppy, you got Zeke and Pandoria, Andromark, all standing around. The mm-hmm. three women, the new moms, they all have babies in their arms. They're all sitting in a chair. Uh, Rex is behind them. He's got his arms on the two outside chairs. And in the chairs, I don't think I said, Mithra, Pyra, and Nia. Uh-huh. Implying that he's fathered all three of these children. Yes. <laughs> very weird it's really really weird it's weird on a level that i didn't think i could not understand about xenoblade 2 yeah well this is something i wanted to ask you because i figured you would remember this did they ever go into whether or not blades can have children not that i can remember okay because that seems like something they would have tackled in like a side quest there's a side quest for the blade Vess who has uh 
been married to the same guy for like 70 years and they do have two kids oh, but okay. i don't oh yeah i remember Vess. yeah but yeah. i don't remember if they if they were his kids or if it was like an a, adoption thing or something else again it didn't go into i guess it would be safe to assume that yes blades can father and and mm-hmm. and mother children so and i would be fine if this was what the picture was <laughs> just rex and pyramithra with babies it's the Nia part that's weird to me See, because, like, because Nia, I I ship Rex and Nia. I really like Nia. Sure. Um, and I think the whole Blade thing is weird because they are like hundred year old women, and Rex is like a child. And even though Nia is also a Blade, she also comes off like a child who's like Rex's age. Yeah. But anyway, um, there's that scene. In Xenoblade 2, where Nia says, I love you, Rex. Yeah. And then he friend zones her so hard. Yeah. He says, I love you too. I love all you guys. Yes. No that's one's ever the been, direct quote. No one's ever been friend zoned harder than that. Uh huh. It seems weird to me that he'd end up then also with her. Yeah. And I would having babies. At the risk of making the same joke. As everybody on the internet did, uh-huh. uh, maybe he was just being very literal. He's like, I, I love all three of you, and I could not choose under any circumstance. So let's just all fuck. Uh, it's 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 the thing that's especially baffling to me is that it's so baffling to me uh-huh. because Xenoblade Two is a game full of creative decisions I don't agree with or understand. It's like a harem, and game. I don't know why. I am, like, surprised by this. Yeah. It seems like, of course, that's what they would do. Let me give you my side of the story. But it makes me... One legitimate question it raises in Mm -hmm. me. We see Nia with a kid here. That implies to me that then Mio is a direct descendant of Nia. I believe that not just a direct descendant, I believe that she is... He's like a clone of her? Yeah, like, cloned through the rebirth process. I feel like... It implied that heavily, mm-hmm. but I like the idea that she's just like her great, 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 great granddaughter better. Yeah. Well, you could kind of look at it that way if if you just don't have to have... Because she is generationally very separated from Nia, yeah. like in her current form, but uh, I believe they're the same. I If you do uh, Nia's hero quest and shit and get all of, mm. all of that stuff no, i would like to do that yeah it implies a closeness while not saying it outright and i think to me it reads that way yeah i do want to say though from my perspective oh anyway yeah you riff on this now the part of <laughs> of it is so this is the part that you're like i would be fine if it was that because of course it would be that yeah but if we shift over a little bit, I would be fine uh, if it was this. Okay. Because, and this is this is the thing that I'm most concerned about. Uh-huh. Pyra and Mithra are the same person. That's true. I'm cool with Rex eventually being like, uh, they I know what I said before. They can't both be around at the same time. Yeah. How have I not even considered that till right now? Well, I think at the very end of Xenoblade 2... Oh, do they split? I think it's possible that they awaken both of them as separate people. I feel like that is probably what happened. But I would be deeply uncomfortable with that if yeah. it was me. I wouldn't want to have my identical split personality that is like... That would have had all of my same memories up until about exactly zero <laughs> seconds ago. 
being like all in the in the family with everybody else. Where's the Xenoblade 2.5 like dating sim That's drama? That's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a deep existential drama about what it would be like to live through this situation. <laughs> yeah, because to me I feel like you say thematically the thing that is worrying is like obviously uh Pythra, Pyra and Mithra had a thing for Rex for the whole game. Yeah. And Nia was in that very obvious friend zone scene. Nia's getting silver medaled, and she deserves more than that. Sure. And then my thing is, like, it's weird existentially that two people who are effectively the same... That's also true. Yeah. But what we're both not talking about is that the weirdest part of it at all mm-hmm. is that they're all of the babies appear to be about the same age. Yeah. They so are it all, all happened like they right all in got a row. pregnant at the same time. They were all waiting for Rex's 18th birthday. <laughs> they were probably <laughs> having a four way. And it was, yeah, they were probably had like a 50 way. You know yeah. how many fucking blades yeah. you have? Fucking, yeah. Every, everyone was there. If there is, yeah. There is also, I know. Morag and Bridget got lucky that they didn't uh, get pregnant. Yeah. Also, don't ask where I uh, found out any of this, but there is apparently also like a thing, uh, a theory, or potentially just like a weird fanship mm-hmm. that Nia and Mithra uh... have like a thing. I think it's based entirely on this one weird spa scene where Nia's like, you got a great bod. Oh, she does say that. She says great bod at some point in the game. And so I think that's where all of that comes from. So maybe it was a a Rex and Pyra thing. And then it was a Rex and Nia, or a Nia and Mithra, and she was (laughs) like, do you think we could, like, do a thing here? Uh And they kind of brought it all together. Mm-hmm. Also, shout! I wish I could credit this person. I'm gonna cut this out entirely. You sure. just deserve to know that somebody made the joke. Uh, he showed them a thing or three, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just good. That's the perfect joke. It is that you could make <laughs> after looking at that picture. But I take zero but, credit for it because uh, it's not my joke. All but this it is being good. all this being said, though, yeah, I actually liked it. Yeah. Though. I also just like the end of the game. Yeah, like, and I actually at the part where, and it's it's gonna sound like dumb Hallmark stuff when I explain it to you, but like the part where the worlds actually split apart, yeah, is pretty sad, uh, and emotionally effective. Um, it reminds me of the end of Twilight Princess. Mm. I guess spoilers for Twilight Princess. The spoiling left <laughs> and spe- right. Oh god. Um, but yeah, like when Midna and Link have to say goodbye to each other, it's like actually like a really, really effective moment. Yeah. And this is similar. I want to say that I think that I have a lot of respect that this game did of uh, an actual love story. And they kissed. They kissed. They like I would And it didn't bet, look like a weird David Cage kiss. I would have bet so much money. You never see that in a Nintendo game. That's true. And like yeah, it's it's even rare in like anime and stuff for like the romantic interests to like actually kiss at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was refreshing. Yeah. It's a big deal, especially. Yeah, just like, yeah, like a fucking love story. Yep. God damn I want a little love in my game. <laughs> Well, especially Not just franchise. weird, creepy, pervy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, Xenoblade 1 had this, like, weird love triangle thing that yeah, I... Yeah, that's have... a perfect example. Like, the whole, like, Shulk and Fiora, like, love at first sight, childhood sweethearts, those characters never kiss. Nope, not like once. Like, Sora and Kairi mm-hmm. never kiss. And then Xenoblade 2 has this... 
Zimbabwe is fucking weird, but sure is. it has love interests in it. Multiple, as we've just many, discussed. Many, many love yeah. interests. And I'm kind of glad they canonized that something actually happened, because it just felt very... I mean, it just feels... It feels stupid as an adult watching it. Yeah. Because you're like... When you're just not... You're just dancing around it. Yeah, it's like, okay, like, I get everything that you're attempting to imply at least, you're doing everything except showing them fucking at this point at least have like zeke and pandoria or something because they're like because like zeke's an adult or yeah. would do something yeah any kind of like romantic subplot that actually went anywhere because it does just how about feel morag like... and bridget get together <laughs> it just feels like nothing is happening yeah yeah it's In... both simultaneously yeah like they're a bunch of sterile weirdos but also everything's super horny yep it's incredibly it's, it's, uncomfortable. It's, it's a mix of extremes. That's so very weird. Yeah, and I think that three is the is normal. <laughs> they toned it the fuck down in terms of like the ridiculous character designs and everything, and they toned the actual romance plot line mm-hmm. into something that felt real and actualized. Yeah, the character with like the biggest boobs in this game doesn't even compare to Xenoblade Two. No, not even close. Like actually tasteful almost. Mm-hmm. Man. The likelihood of that. Yeah. Uh, I still have like three hours of content I could go through, but I think we should probably... That um, seems like the logical stopping point. Yeah. Do we have... Ferranis. thoughts. My Ferranis thoughts. We never even mentioned Ferranis's or yeah, we Legnis's. mentioned Flame Clocks, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so my Ferranis thoughts are, um, I like this game. It, it didn't disappoint. Um, I feel like it, I did have some problems with it. Um, the fact that um, it's a mashup of the previous two games, I think, comes along with baggage. That, mm-hmm. like, there's some stuff feels too familiar, and then sometimes it also paradoxically feels like it doesn't directly reference things as much as it implies it might. Um, but I do think there's, like, some good actual, like, it handles it really well. Like, the self-referential content, I think it's really hard to do. I like that Nia and Melia are in the game, that it's teased for a while before they show up. And everything they do with that, I think, is well done. And there's, like, a bit of fan service at the end that I think is earned, and it lands. Um, I think, yeah, like, presentation, I feel, like, mixed about a lot of things, but, like, it's, it's all fairly personal and nitpicky like overall it is very good it looks great uh runs well there was only like a maybe a couple of islands where the frame rate sucked but no it's a huge game runs well on the switch it's they're working wizardry at monolith soft um making xenoblade x run on the wii u and xenoblade one run on the wii i don't know what they're doing over there um but I, i dig it and how uh, bad yeah. they did with the second game somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Mechanically, a lot of the time, I feel like this is the best of the three, or the four. Um, but yeah, also, yeah, it's just a lot of things that are, like, I feel a little all over the place. Maybe because I just finished it. Mm-hmm. The dust hasn't quite settled yet. But, like, overall, really good. Um, I felt, like, myself... I feel like they implemented the side quests really well. Because I found myself just doing a ton of them. Like, I'm not... once Like I said earlier... Not a completionist at all, but I felt compelled to just keep doing the side quests in this. Yeah. Felt very convenient. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It's a little messy, in you know, um, but I think 
much like something I think we kind of talked about at the end of the episode on the first game, kind of doesn't matter. Like the kind of like problems it has aren't like huge or like game, like opinion altering. You know, they're just kind of like little inconveniences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot. Not perfect, but I'm thoroughly uh, satisfied as a Xenoblade fan that it's continued to go on and continued to stay good. Hooray. Hurrah. Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that this is just a fantastic game. Like, it's it's really good, and it, I know that it's sold better than the other games in the series, at least at launch, um, and I think it deserves it. I think it's kind of weird to think about because this game is a sequel to these other games that sort of ballooned in relevance over time. I think we had, like... Yeah, thanks to Smash Brothers. Yeah. I think I mean, Smash Brothers, we owe a lot, too. Yeah. In and terms well, of... I, I think it was kind of a perfect storm of Shulk being in Smash and the fact that the game wasn't as accessible. Mm-hmm. So it created, like, curiosity and scarcity at the same time. And then... When up, the definitive edition came yeah, out. Yeah, it, it upped the supply to match the demand. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah, I, I think that... This game is really good. I think, and also, they've already given a roadmap as far as, like, future support for the game. This podcast, if you're listening to this a year from now, I'm sorry. We don't know what that is yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like a lot of the problems that I have with the game could easily be fixed um, in patches. Things like, I wish that class loadouts were a thing. Where you could just, like, put them on an amiibo. Tap an amiibo. <laughs> Uh, and it just, like, puts the same gear on your guy uh, as you had before, so you don't have to go through menus anymore. Fast chain attack systems and shit. Like, that kind of thing. And make the fucking machine assassin class cool. It's a cool class! Just make it good! Uh, and, like, that kind of stuff. And, like you said, and like we said a goddamn year ago, it feels minor. I think that I spent a huge chunk of time in this game and could nitpick little things that I found inconvenient. Um, but from an overall experience, I think it is, it's really good. Um, and I think it's the kind of thing where you shouldn't be shy about like getting some help from places to like make your experience a little bit better. I think the worst thing for a casual player is probably going to be being overleveled. I think if you manage to maintain a, a comfortable difficulty curve throughout the game, uh, then this might be the best in the franchise. Um, as it stands right now, I think I still like the first game a little bit better. Yay. <laughs> but uh, play one. <laughs> we'll give it some time and DLC, and we'll see where it ends up uh, after that. Thank you for listening to No Clip This Week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Going with a much shorter game. Yeah, on the PlayStation 2. Maybe I'll also play the original Prince of Persia, which I think was like a fucking NES game or something. Uh, I think it was something else. It might have been something else. One of those other lesser remembered consoles. Mm. Uh, But I'm talking out my ass. Yeah, but we won't do that. Uh, we're just gonna do the PlayStation one because I own a copy of yeah. it. Yeah, I've never played it. I, I feel haven't. Like... I haven't either. Actually. Oh wow! I own it, but I never. Played I know it. it's like a, I guess a cult classic or. I mean, it was a big game at the time. Yeah, but it's not one that like people hold up as like a 
all time. Not so much. Yeah. We're going to find out why that is. Yeah. <laughs> A little investigative reporting next time. Uh, and until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. Hey, hey Splatoon 3 it's comes out. Again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you can find links to our Twitter account, uh, the YouTube channel, our email address, all the good shit. Um, and you can find old episodes on games like Xenoblade Chronicles 1, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Uh, we mentioned in the last one Final Fantasy X mm-hmm. um, and Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger, Dragon Age, yeah, some classic RPGs. Yeah, uh, you can listen to our episode on Elden Ring, which is another game that I spent way too long in before coming in for the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think it presents its own problems when that happens. Yeah, it was another game that I had to regularly stay up until one <laughs> thirty in the morning to to get through. Yep. Uh, so check those out, and yeah. they'll all be really long episodes. I promise you. Uh, Smash that flame clock. Interlink with your favorite fella in the comment section. <laughs> Remember when they played like an hour and a half long movie in the middle of the game? <laughs> Yeah, that was a weird decision. <laughs>